Welcome back to season three of Layered Butter, the podcast. My name is Jordan Sloggett. I am your host for this evening, and I'm joined by... Rodrigo Cockting. And... It's me, Rafael Cordero. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Uh, sorry, everyone. We are, we, are you, we are new to this. We are figuring out a whole new platform. It's a whole it's brave fine. new world. It's been summer. It's been um, how many? It's been, what, three years since the last episode, I think? Not this. Yeah, it's been <laughs> way too long. Uh, we got a lot of movie opinions. We got a lot of movie hot takes, cold takes, medium takes. And this whole episode is dedicated to the recent wonderful event that happened here in Toronto, which was the Toronto International Film it Festival. It felt like you were dedicating it to somebody dying. <laughs> I was <laughs> just about to say. recently departed. Like, well, who died? Did talk about? So later in this the episode, queen? we will talk about the death of cinema and how I th- Damn. It feels like even just seeing you guys go to TIFF made me feel like cinema is still alive. And I have that dream, just seeing everyone and that excitement and hearing about it. Like, um, yeah, I, you know, sometimes we get cynical. We talk about the bad things about movies, but I don't know. It was very heartwarming to see. So just to give our listener a heads up, this episode, uh, I'm going to be, I'm the host uh, because I didn't go to TIFF. So I get to be the one who talks to everyone else about their TIFF experience, live vicariously through them. Uh, we're going to kick things off with uh, the Usual trio that you know and love, your podcast hosts of myself, Rod, and Raf. And then we are going to jump into a couple of pre-recorded interviews with myself and other members of the Extended Layer Butter family before joining us back here with the solid trio to get their TIFF opinions and uh, you know, just really um, come to the decision of is TIFF good and should it continue? I think that's the question that we're answering, right, guys? Yeah, like we're judging Tiff. Um, Listen, I, I, I got to say, institution. <laughs> this is this is very strange, at least for me, because for the first time, I'm hardly talking, and I just feel like, you know, being interviewed <laughs> and have Jordan as a host is uh, is I don't know. It's weird. I feel. Like it, I want to put place. you in the relaxed seat. You know, like you're you're sitting back I'm on the never couch. Relax. I'm gonna I'm gonna like go to you, man. <laughs> You're, okay, cool. You're uh, you're in for it. the ride. Um, so yeah, it's okay. Uh, how's everyone's summer been? You know, it's been we've taken a couple months off of the podcast, and we've all recharged our uh, pod podcast batteries, and we're ready to talk it out. And I don't know. It's been an interesting summer. It's been of a minute. Yeah, uh, Raf. What what do you what have you been watching? What have you been oh, thinking shit. about movie wise? How's your life going? Just what was your movie summer like? <laughs> too many questions going on. My <laughs> life is doing great, uh, but my movie summer. I want to say a lot of first time watches and a lot of repeat watches in the sense that there were a lot of movies that I forgot about. I was on a Peter Berg binge on the last edge of um, July and into August. I watched Patriot's Day, Deepwater Horizon, and I also ended up watching uh, Lone Survivor and Friday Night Lights. I don't know. I mean, his films are great. The TV show or the movie? Uh, The movie. And then I started a TV show, just the first episode. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Jesse Plemons, who's like unrecognizable. That was his big start, wasn't it? That's been on my like longtime list to get into because I know I'm a sucker for sports drama. My brother is a big fan of Friday Night Lights, and he said it's not about the football; it's about the family. 
I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you sold it on me. But other than that, no. I mean, the summer was okay. I, I, I'm looking through my letterbox right now. Some of my big ones that I ended up I ended up watching Man from Toronto. Disaster. Um, I heard that they don't even say Toronto, right? Yeah, they say Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> You're but is it like, upper, is it like a plot any... device of the movie that he's not from Toronto? Or is he no, actually he, from Toronto? He's like a, a, an assassin that's known as the man from Toronto. Toronto. Um, and they're just <laughs> To any of our non-Toronto listeners, and I'm sure we have at least a few, uh, it's a tell that people who live in Toronto, we don't really pronounce the final T in Toronto. So we don't say Toronto, we say Toronto. And you can kind of tell how familiar yeah. someone is or if they've actually lived there by whether or not they... Toronto, Ontario. And you're just mm-hmm. like, okay, you, don't, you never lived there. <laughs> I know, man. Uh, from the six, right? That's what we call it here. But yeah, I, I don't know. That's my that was my summer. Prey was a good one, and nope. Raph, I do want to hear more about your movies, but I rudely ran past That's housekeeping, and uh, so we're gonna have to rewind. Bring a little it back bit. to the structure. But you know Bring what? Housekeeping doesn't have to be up the front. You're listening to this whole podcast, and you want to know what's going on with Laird Butter. Rod, tell us what's happening with Laird Butter. Uh, just a quick reminder that uh, the Studio Ghibli issue is now officially live and uh, it, it, we printed it and it is for sale. So you can definitely go onto our store and purchase that. Also, if you purchase one of our Twin Peaks uh, posters that we were selling during our online Fan Expo sale, that will probably start shipping out towards the middle or end of October. We're just waiting on the custom size tubes that we have to order for each one. So I know there was like some issues with uh, the order page for people that had placed orders. But don't worry, your order is in and your poster will be on the way as soon as we can get it out. Nice, nice. We love to hear it. The wheels of capitalism are turning. And thanks to all of our listeners and supporters, Layered Butter continues for season three and forever. Rod, how has your movie summer been? Give me, give me the big picture, then let's get into the deep picture. Tell me all about it. So the big picture was that I did not see as many movies as probably I should have or could have. Like I, I am also guilty of that. Summer always escapes me anyway. Plus, it's like beautiful outside. And so why spend your day kind of like in front of a TV, right? Yeah. But I, as summer was coming to an end, I was thinking about like our, our kind of my, my New Year's resolution that we chatted about last season that I wanted to see like X amount of movies inside a movie theater. And I was like, yeah, this mm-hmm. is not happening. Like I've seen, I think maybe four and, you know, Black Panther's coming out, so five, but then TIFF happened, which we will talk about. And then that kind <laughs> yeah. of put me over over the hump and made it me. It feels like festivals don't really count in the same way. Don't they, though? Like, I bought popcorn and went inside a movie theater. It's, it's, it's not that they don't count, it's just more like they don't completely multiply. So if you're going to TIFF and you see like five movies in a day, it's like maybe mm-hmm. it counts for two or something. Cause, uh, but actually that's a good question. So for both of you, how many movies did you watch this summer? And I know we're all looking at our letterbox accounts, but I tell me four. how many movies you watch from not even in theaters, just all together. Oh, how many movies okay, you logged okay. in letterboxd in like June, July, I logged three, but I can August? tell that I, like I saw nope and that was in the summer. Right. So that has to be at least four. So you, okay. That's a, letterboxed crime i guess the not infraction, logging it. not logging it yeah um yeah starting beginning of june i i was having a real nostalgia this is the most oh, this beginning is a, of june is this that, is I, okay I, my june is so nostalgic i'm um, looking right now i will tell so, you what i what i logged from beginning to and end, i'm pretty sure i talked about this much. in the last episode <laughs> it, it's june summer i guess summer is really july august or whatever right but basically like late june is summer 
I only watched movies up until June 12th and then I stopped because like you said, Rod, why am I going to spend time watching movies when it's the glorious time of uh, the year here in Ontario I where feel it's nice? So yeah. seen. June um, 11th is like, it's like you can see I'm pretty popping from beginning of June to June 11th and then I stopped all the way till like <laughs> July 9th. Okay, so I started off my June Top Gun and then Top Gun Maverick, following it up with Spider-Man, the 2001 Sam Raimi, Sp- 2002, sorry, Sam Raimi Spider-Man, and then Spider-Man 2. And then I just didn't watch anything until I saw Memoria in theaters here at the Guelph. Uh, a TIFF 2021 movie. Oh, okay. Nice. I, that was an interesting watch. That was a challenging watch. Memoria that is, is um, intense. What is the name of this actor? Tilda, Tilda Swinton. Yes, right? it's a Tilda Swinton star. Can you pronounce the uh, director's is name? Is it a Thai director? It's a Thai um, director. Yeah. It's a really long name. I don't know. Do we want to start off the season of Laird Butter with just like hearing a white man butcher like just like, i mean i was I, I was leaning I mean, for rod to say it <laughs> no but i mean like I, I i know my limitations and i know that i don't think i can say <laughs> that that name i can give it a try if you want. let me google this tie director apichatpong we reset thackle that's my attempt at that okay that sounds pretty phonetically it. to like what the way it's written which i guess is how it's made to be like from. yeah because i think like their characters are not necessarily mm-hmm. like Right. Apich- yeah. Okay. Let me let me try mine. <clears throat> I pretend like I'm a principal and I'm giving uh, up diplomas, and I'm the first time I'm seeing this person's name because I'm an awful <laughs> principal. Uh, Apichatpong, Wurzenthorkal. Please take your grade twelve diploma, buddy. You had the the cadence of a principal. Seeing the name for the first time. That was confident at the beginning, and then gave up halfway through. And it's like, how can I wrap this name up? The trick is to just say it as quickly as possible. Anyway, yeah, Memoria was that was a fucking weird watch. And then watch of the summer for me in theaters was Nope, and probably the movie of the summer and a very summer movie. And then everything else, uh, I also saw, uh, oh, the last one I saw in theaters was Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which was another mm-hmm. um, little independent movie theater watch. Um, right. So it was a great night out. And a Yeah. Yeah. What about you guys? How many how many movies you watched this summer? So in June, I kicked off um, very ambitiously watching Fire Island, which was a made-for-Hulu uh, movie. And then I watched Everything Everywhere all at once for like the sixth time. I Have you actually Kilda seen that movie like, like six times? Time. It, yeah. That's, man, I am just not it, a big movie I've seen rewatcher it again anymore. since then because I saw it with another friend. Like so, the number of movies I've seen more than three times – it, it like especially movies that I've seen more than three times that I saw for the first time in the last like fifteen years or something are so few. I just like how about Raph, do you do you rewatch a lot of movies? Like The Mummy and Independence Day are <laughs> that doesn't count this because that's shit that you saw when you were like a kid. But like <laughs> shit what's that I saw. <laughs> okay, here's a what's the what from a movie that's come out in the last ten years, what what movie have you rewatched the most number of times? Rod, is it for you? That. Everything, everywhere, or is this? Yeah, I think it? I think so, but I'm not like super adverse to watching movies that I enjoy. Like I've seen Pan's Labyrinth. Like I I don't know if this falls in your ten year window, but it's definitely outside of like me mm. not being a kid, right? Like I've seen Pan's Labyrinth multiple times. I've seen Kill Bill multiple times. Children of Men. I've seen like ten times. Yeah, uh, Volver by Pedro Almodovar. I've seen like ten times too. There is something to be said about like have watched it since becoming an adult with like so much less time to sit and just watch movies. Um, but it's also, it depends if you're someone like, you know, if I added up all the times that I've watched, uh, old reruns of the Simpsons, like I could mm-hmm. probably have rewatched a lot of classic movies in that time. Yeah. 
Uh, another summer movie that I saw that I thought was a great summer movie was The Lost City, Sandra Bullock and oh, uh, Channing Tatum. Tatum. That was a fun, like romantic, uh, romancing the zone, um, spiritual sequel. Like, I don't know. I thought it did everything really well. It did the comedy well. It did the adventure well. Like, it, better than well, it did it pretty good. It was a. I like, like that pretty better than well. It's pretty good. Because <laughs> like well is three and it's it's a like, three okay. and a half. It did it pretty Fair good. Enough. Solid three and a half, not a four. It's a three and a half. <laughs> um, Raph, oh, do you watch any TV? What's uh, like mighty TV? Like, yeah, fuck, TV has been I taking watch? over my entire life the last like two weeks. Like not last like what two months? Three months? It yeah, took me like there's too much out there now. Mm-hmm. I took me two months to finish. Taylor Sheridan's 1883. I don't know why. It just took me so long to finish. Is uh, which this was, uh, the, the, the movie that is yeah. related in some way to the Yellowstone Yellowstone? One? Yeah, it's the so wait, you, it's like you the, watched a one movie over the course of two months? Or is no, it, no, it's, it's not a movie. Series. Okay, okay. It's yeah. a series, yeah. Um, it took way longer than it should have been. But we watched was that because that. it wasn't... Uh, particularly enticing like you know making you want to watch no it's, we just didn't have time and then how many episodes are in this show is this like it's a classic ten. like it's a okay. 10 yeah 10 episode miniseries mm-hmm. um no i i think it's actually better than yellowstone i Damn. think Drag the production design and everything was 10 times better but um, kevin costner's yellowstone right yellowstone but this one his his great grandfather is uh tim mcgraw and his grandmother is uh faith hill and there are. I could see that being pretty. I mean, I, so this, I did love Red Dead Redemption, and I could get into this. Husband like. and wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are they not both country singers? They are, but they, they are wild. remarkable. They are really. We're good too at permissive show. of singers turning into actors, buddy. You should watch it, and you'll be like, "Wow, cowboy!" <laughs> you know, this is like. Do uh, they sing? My, Do they give review, them a moment? No. My review oh. of the movie Hunt that was at TIFF was like, it is a movie that feels like it is directed by the lead actor of Squid Game. <laughs> I really wanted to watch it. I didn't get a chance to see it. But no, there was a lot of TV I watched this this summer. Uh, 1883 was a big one. And then there was a ton of shows that were also going on. And it's like, I, uh, it's it's escaping me right now. What was on HBO this summer? <laughs> I don't even remember. Um, was it White HBO? Lotus this year? No, that was last year. No, right? no White no, Lotus is coming two? up in a month. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. Uh, we both watched Industry. Yes, we is did that watch good? I, is that mm. I kind of is that just a? It's, it's, it, it's like you can get into it, but also I would be very okay with no. But you know what I mean? Like so, I, yeah, I would be fine yeah, if nobody. My, it's not like essential viewing. Okay, my no, understanding no. without never seeing it, the show is that it's basically like a big company, and you're getting a bunch of characters at different levels of the company, and like the fun drama of like the intern, the person who's like so, in a, yes a couple years no, in, this, like. It's much more centered on the interns. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a generation of interns that start off the show. And one of them, in theory, I think is going to be hired at this company. Like it's a cutthroat company. And so they all do everything that they can. Um, in the pilot episode of season one, like it goes all the Something way to the happens. extreme of like yeah. how much a person can, can give for this company. Right. So that's kind of like the, the, the thing that I would knock against it is that it does kind of like a very poor job of keeping the audience to follow along if they don't have that background. Like I could still not tell you what mm-hmm. the difference between like FX's job and then like whatever uh, Harper's job is Training. or Robert's job. Like yeah. I, I, to me, they all seem virtually the same. I also don't know, <laughs> like, like sometimes they're, they have one client and they're, they're talking to this guy, Rishi, who's like in charge of the trades, I guess. And then they have another client and it's like, so somebody has to be winning here according to everybody, right? Like it can't be that everybody's like all three partners are winning. So, 
are they charting one client to, to offer the other? And it's like, that's never clear to me because I have no background in finance. And maybe to other people that do follow it closely, they can understand that. But the show is like very comfortable with leaving you behind. Mm. Ultimately, like it's not the most essential thing. I'm kind of an overthinker, but it's like you can kind of tell that it's like, okay, this person fucked up. This move went well. Yeah, this, exactly. And so on. And that's kind of like what you need to know. But I'm just like, okay, but explain to me the science of what just happened. I mean, from I that, fully get it. Rod, do you feel that way about succession, though? Like about the what no. understanding what's happening with the Because yeah, I feel like succession it, plays fast and loose with the. It's, like... it's my same requirement, but I also feel like succession does a much better job at explaining it. So it's like, I don't feel as lost in succession as I do in this. Well, not okay. only that, Succession is very, I feel like a lot of the politics or a lot of the actual business side of it is very layman's terms, right? It's very yeah. simple. It's like, this guy's trying to get this. Well, we need to buy this person out. It yeah. is so industry, high level like, that I want to destroy this guy to do this, to do that. Okay. It's, right. Industry gets right. in and, there. And like, I think that the, like, the amount of exposition that is needed often to explain things is probably why they avoid explaining it. But Succession has such good writing that they're able to filter in the exposition in a very seamless way that you can still mm-hmm. follow along what the what the, the scheming is and still know kind of like where it ends up. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I watched Severance. Sorry, sorry. I'm oh, sorry. I still got to get into Severance. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm like three or four episodes in and I really liked it, but it was just one of those. I, I The problem was I watched it right before summer and then summer happened ah. and I, uh, I'll i get back into it probably when I'm done with House of the Dragon and um, uh, Lord, of Lord of the Rings. Can you guys believe that I've gone, what, like 17 minutes into this episode so far and I haven't brought up there's the fact that Lord of the Rings is back, that we've gotten like what five hours of new Lord of the Rings content? Numenor. 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 I totally forgot it existed. <laughs> How do you say the guy that makes the the rings name? Oh, um, he's the Elven Smith, and he's with Elrond, and it's Elrond. And what does it start with? Is oh, it like? Are you talking great... about Young Ned Stark? It's like a complicated yes, name. Yes, it see. is Young Ned's. Wait, no, is it Young? No, Young Ned Stark is Elrond. Um, uh, I'm sorry for all the Lord of the Rings fans. There's, I feel like there's either two types of people. One person is very angry that I don't know the name, and the other person is very angry that I'm trying to think of the name of this elf. Oh, uh, shit. Okay. Sorry, the rehearsal. Sorry. Think of other shows. Oh, my God, like... the rehearsal. We could do a whole episode about the rehearsal. <laughs> know, the rehearsal sorry, was sorry, the continue. most insane television. We, we should really dedicate a whole episode of the podcast this <laughs> season to the rehearsal, you guys. To Nathan um, Fielder. We should yeah, send the, him. Uh... The entire works of Mr. Fielder. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's been, it's been a hell of a summer. Um, I've enjoyed it, but I'm glad that the weather's getting shittier and that Not we'll this. be having to get cozy and distract ourselves from the cold, bleak life that is winter here in Ontario this with movies. Oh, actually the, the so I got to talk. Did you guys see the Elvis movie? I got I just have I to rant about this movie. I did not. I had to take a week long break in the middle of watching this movie and Damn. it still wasn't enough time. Like this movie would have been too much if I had watched it like every if, uh, like in TikTok form, like one minute of it uh, once a week. It's extravagant, man. I mean, that's, that's bad. Coming soon too. This is to, like uh, scene transition. You. Yeah. Scene transition. The movie, like, it, <laughs> like if this was a music video, two minutes into this music video, you'd be like, Oh man, it's can this fucking take a break? Like this music video is just go, go, going, but it's a two hour and 50 long minute movie. Like 
but I enjoyed I'll it. say I mean the I the um performance at the center of it uh, I don't know his name Austin Butler Austin Butler Austin Butler playing Elvis he does an amazing job he sounds great he looks great the costumes in it are amazing every single shot looks good it's just too many shots too crazily thrown together but yeah, and Tom is, yeah. is known for uh abundancy and you know opulence. I mean you watch this and then if you wanted to go watch like uh Schumacher, like Schumacher's Batman and Robin or something that's even a Michael Bay or something, I feel like knows <laughs> how long to hold a shot before he just like flips into Damn. into Not something this else. Comparison of uh Baz Luhrmann <laughs> to Schumacher and uh, Michael, Michael Bay. Bay. Well, I mean, negatively take. compared to them, yeah. I might add. And I'm not like the biggest Bay fan. The Moulin Rouge but... are going to come. For, the Moulin Rouge stands are going to come for you. Yeah, I should rewatch Moulin Rouge, but or maybe I, I would not. say. I mean, it doesn't seem like you like him. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny because Elvis is one of those movies where I'm like, oh, I didn't really like it, but I would recommend it to almost everyone I spoke to because it's like, oh, so you'll probably like industry it. For me, because I like it, but I was like, I don't know that I would recommend this. To <laughs> yeah, this is why like the caveat, like, like when you're giving a, a take, is important, right? Because if so you're like, oh, this like horror movie is amazing, and you're going to recommend it to the elf's some, name like, by the way is celebrimbor or some very Celebrimbor. Celebrimbor. Okay. i've been trying to figure out how to pronounce his name because i keep on reading it and i was like how do you say this celebrimbor but i think i used yeah. to say but if because galadriel's husband is Celeborn, right he's not Celeborn. i, I like so. the right like if somebody's gonna be able to confirm or deny <laughs> that information but you're gonna anyway, have to like ouija and bring tolkien himself to answer we'll, that because we'll no talk idea. uh we'll probably talk in more depth at some point about this lord of the ring show when it's done yeah. but right now i will say the world is magical the sets are amazing the music is well done like mm-hmm. the whole putting me into that atmosphere of those original trilogy movies and what does feel like the fantastic previous like previous history of it like it's things are more magical they're more fantastic they're bigger there's more yeah. fantasy in the world because we're in the second age it's not the third age and i love all of it i am having a hard time kind of connecting with some characters and i have the heart some drag them <laughs> the heart are at least like people I, I don't mind the heart but it's just it's hard to people. relate to okay like galadriel I mean, this is the whole thing with the show that's interesting and also weird to do because elves are fucking weird. They're not just humans with pointy ear- like ears who live forever. They are different types of creatures that experience the world differently. Their aspirations are different. Our main character, Galadriel, is at this point in the show, which is like thousands and thousands of years before Lord of the Rings, already like 6,000 years old. I can barely comprehend a hundred years, let alone 6,000 years and what that does to someone to live for that long. And, uh, you know, like it's just a creature that I can't, because you it, we're pretty much talking about some sort of God. So I, I have a hard time understanding where she's coming from as a protagonist, <laughs> but I will save the Lord of the Rings rant for another time. Yeah, I, I, and I have thoughts, but I don't want to keep on like, pushing you I yeah have no thoughts, I'll leave it so i'm okay i'm okay that we're no this. thoughts head empty raph the center <laughs> of the ring there's no ring in the center there we of the go ring. um but i think that was a good pretty good summer catch-up and guys i'm excited that we're going to hop into a couple of pre-recorded interviews we're going to be talking to uh some of the, the the wider members of the not the wider members what do you call it the extended family the laird butter extended family people who if you're a fan of laird butter website then you've maybe you've read some of their reviews maybe you've uh, seen some of their content they are all contributors in some they way are to the amazing people great people and uh 
Yeah, well, the butter wouldn't be the butter. No, the butter wouldn't be as visc. They make us visc. Never mind. Okay, let's move on. They add, yeah, right. they're directly responsible for the viscosity, for the viscosity. of the butter. There they should really, go. they should put that on their LinkedIn. Like that's an endorsement, right? But us three, <laughs> us three, we have the flavor. Oh, that's okay. Heartbreaking them now. <laughs> yeah, I'm confusing, yeah. Oh! confusingly heartfelt. That's a really hard uh, emotion yeah. to pull off, Raf. Like awe, but like <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. Anyway. Uh, I spoke to Mark, Mark, and Lester, and Andrew sent in some of his thoughts that we'll hear from as well. Oh, wait. No, I didn't speak to the one Mark, right? I was going to say, did I, you speak to the other I Mark? I just said it then. <laughs> Which Mark? Well, you, could, guess, have, you could keep that in as well. Yeah, I was going to say. I love this. Um, I, I think you should also just keep that in because <laughs> that's how the sausage is made, folks. Sometimes you organize things and sometimes it doesn't happen exactly mm-hmm. as you thought. So. Do you guys have anything else to say before you hop into those things? What do you hope you hear from them? What do you hope that they say? I, what they don't I, say? I don't know what they're talking about, but if I had to guess, I could probably <laughs> tell you what each what each movie that they to a take on so. is. I think yeah. Mark would probably talk about The Glass Onion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would talk about The Whale, probably, or The Glass Onion. Lester would probably talk about something he saw at Midnight Madness. Yep. And Andrew would probably talk about something, uh, I think, mm-hmm. Women Talking, uh, directed by Sarah Polly, would be my guess. Andrew Fry, right? Yeah, 100%. Andrew Fry, yeah. Andrew percent I hope uh, Mark DeLottenville mentions Triangle of Sadness because that movie is amazing, super fun. But I think you're right, Rod. I think Glass Onion, uh, he might mention The Whale and um, Woman Talking for Fry. And Lester's going right. to talk about Pearl, 100%. Well, we got our predictions in. Stay tuned to this episode of Laird Butter. Don't turn the dial or um, hit pause and continue listening to hear those tiff takes coming on. Or we will see you after these interviews for uh, the end of the episode where we're going to make you really upset with our film opinions. All right. See you then. All right, so there'll be some like music transition, and then it'll cut to me saying, uh, so I have the pleasure of being joined by Lester Lubigan, who has been on the Layered Butter podcast before. Lester, I think the last time you were on, I was not one of the regular hosts. It was season one. I believe you were on for season one, episode 23, Tease Me Baby Trailer Talk, where you shared some of your expertise as uh, Layered Butters, one of Layered Butters' in-house editors, if I'm right. Yes, that's it. Yeah, that was a pretty fun episode, let me be honest. I just yeah. love love trailers, man. <laughs> just watch <laughs> Who trailers. doesn't love trailers, right? Everyone loves trailers. A um, trailer, man. Like that's hard to beat. <laughs> it's it's hard to beat. It's hard for a movie to live up to. Uh, it's even like oh, the best movie. It's like, can it live up to that two and a half minutes of magic? Um, the anticipation maybe is is always better than the being. Oh, 100%. Uh, so we are here to talk uh, all things uh, TIFF 2022. But uh, before we jump into any of the movies you saw this year tell me what's your experience with tiff as a as a music like as a as a festival as um an event in the in the city of toronto uh what does tiff mean to you it's like i've been like ever since film school like like 10 years ago i've been going to tiff like every year and the thing is i like early on in my in in my early 20s i would go to every single midnight madness screening like i would go to all 10 movies when i had like the energy to do that i'm definitely not as young now <laughs> so like i i've like been trailing off with uh movies uh at tiff specifically but i would always try to catch at least one or two just like 
random movie that I would not expect to watch because like you never know where it's just like what the next big thing is gonna be, right? Like yep. just going in blind and then just like coming out and you're just like, oh wow, this is fucking amazing. Like I, I always live for that at TIFF. You know? I always give like at least one Canadian film a shot and then at least one horror film at Midnight Madness. And like I've, I've yet to do uh, so. I have a pretty limited experience with TIFF, but yeah. I've, I've yet to do a Midnight Madness, and I think I'd really enjoy doing that. Harder now that I don't live in the city of Toronto. Yeah, but, uh, I will say there is something to be said about just like rolling the dice. The first year I went to the festival, I went. I uh, bought one of those um, packages where you basically get five random. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tickets like the flex pack yeah yeah and like it was a really busy week because i was in oakville at the time so i was yeah. traveling in to toronto every night my, my wife and i and uh you know just going to these like scrambling to get to these movies and some of them were amazing some of them were hard to sit through but yeah. <laughs> like that's just the festival you know that's just the, that's the joy of yeah, yeah the like, joy of cinema jumping just, into weird the wonderful yeah. um so I know you saw a couple of movies this year. Uh, yeah. What uh, what was like a standout of of some of the movies that you saw? Um, well, I'm just gonna say right now, Decision to Leave was my favorite movie at TIFF. But like, I'm just a Park Chan Wook fanboy, so I'm just gonna be like praising it to like yeah. to like everywhere basically. Um, it's have you heard of the movie Decision to Leave? Uh, it sounds familiar. Tell yeah. me what's the synopsis of what's so, this? So it's a Korean thriller and it's about a detective that, um, is trying to solve this murder, but then he gets intertwined with one of the suspects and then he starts like falling for her basically. Oh. So it's sort of like a cat and mouse type of thriller. Like is she, did, did she do it? Did she not do it? Whatever. And then it's just, that's, it's a very simple premise, but it was just executed with, perfection because like it's it's sort of Park Chan Wook at the top of his game it's just like every single frame every single transition every like cutaway is just meticulous and it's just it's perfect it's such a simple story but just the way it was executed was phenomenal and just honestly I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Park Chan Wook fanboy so I'm just gonna be like I look feel like you right can't now. be you're not impartial you can't no uh, I'm not <laughs> but like he never misses man like all of his movies are amazing <laughs> 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 but yeah that was definitely my favorite movie at TIFF this year I haven't I didn't see much this year though I only saw like three because I was just really busy with work um, so the second one I saw was Pearl at Midnight Madness and so I thought Pearl was, this is the second is, movie in uh, this uh, new trilogy that's come out the previous yeah the first one was X and I believe X was a was it 60s 70s is it took place the 70s like it's like a, an homage to like 70s exploitation horror right so it's a little like Texas um, Texas Chainsaw but it's also basically Texas it's got this like uh, pornographic sort of um, plot yeah. and it's so it's uh, and then, so Pearl is starring um, Mia, Mia Goth. Goth. Is that her name? Yes. So Mia Goth. And she's also in the first one, but she's playing a different character. She is. She, she's, she's, she played that character in the first one. She's playing well, the older right? character from X, but like a younger version of that, that older character. Right? So we're seeing yeah. a backstory of that. And it's exactly um, what, what is this one takes place? Is this like, it's it takes in, place in, the, the, in the twenties, like okay. the late, late teens, early twenties, like 1920. 
Okay. So yeah. What, uh, first off, what were you going into this with like high expectations? Did you like X? I haven't seen X. So tell me. I, I like X for sure. I, I, I'm a Ty West fan. So like, I sort of expect him to like the, with him is like, he sort of, um, focuses on certain like horror niches in all of his films. So like something like X is obviously like a seventies exploitation horror film. Something like the sacrament is like found footage horror. And then like all of his past works are always about this very specific genre in horror. So Pearl is sort of like this homage to like early's golden age, um, Hollywood basically, but like with this huge technicolor cinematography. So it's very, very vibrant. And like, mm. I've never seen anything like that in a horror film before. And I'm going to be honest, when I was the first maybe like half, I was like, what is this? Like, what am I watching here? And then once it like reveals itself towards this, like the last act, I'm like, holy shit, this movie's really fucking good. And I actually prefer it over X. Because the thing with X is it just feels too much like this is just Texas Chainsaw Massacre with porn. Right. That's just how I felt. And like, I love X, don't get me wrong, but Pearl just felt like more... There's more ideas to it. You so know what sometimes I, mean? I think the a really good prequel has the ability yeah. to transform um, yeah. watchings when you go back and you revisit the, the yes. first movie. Do you do you think that like are you interested in going back to, to revisit X oh, 100%. at this point? Or? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think it definitely makes X a better film and vice versa. It makes Pearl a better film than an X. But like Pearl is just just something else like it's so it's so different than anything i've ever seen in horror and then there's this one scene like a five minute long monologue from mia goth uncut close up and she's just spilling her heart out and i'm just like dude she's gonna she's not gonna win an oscar but like this is one of those moments where like man if horror actually got recognized at the oscars she would have got nominated for best Actress. right like that's how good it was Maybe, I mean, there's got to be something that'll break through and, like, allow genre movies to see their day in the like, sun, I right? I thought Hereditary but, would break through with, mm. with like, Tony Collette, but, like, no, not at all. I definitely probably isn't going to, <laughs> but I feel like it should. <laughs> so this is the second movie in this trilogy that, they're, that Ty movie. West is making, yeah. right? So and the, then the third, third one, one is Maxine. Right. Maxine and does that, with three X's. Okay, cool. So it's yeah. sort of, uh, and do we, do we know when uh, that's coming out next year? I believe. So I think it's next year, and it's it's like an eighties, well, like an eighties horror type of vibe. They didn't okay. really do much with it. It just showed like it was like an end credits thing after Pearl, and I'm like, I did not expect that at all, to be honest. And I was pretty pretty surprised. Um, that's but cool. they didn't it really is, go much into it. It is interesting, I think, when a uh, a film series like this can be made all at once. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of film movies, like a lot of movies, obviously they're, they're made. And then the, the next one's not kicked off until there's the proven success of the first one and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure if X had completely bombed, then the studios might've like, like really hit the brakes on investing any more money in the next two. Yeah. But, uh, it, I mean, the same thing would have happened with Lord of the Rings, right? If fellowship yeah. of the ring came out and was a like disaster, then the next two might have just been like rushed in terms of production. But there is something to be said about like filming and creating 
all um, before the audience has even seen something or yeah, even, right. Because like, like I think like they went through this in the Q and A after Midnight Madness. Basically, like they shot X, and then they were just still in lockdown in in Australia, like New Zealand. I think they shot it in, and then they're like they were in their hotel room just like quarantining. Like, hey, to one uh, Ty West just went up to me, a goth. He's like, hey, do you want to write a prequel? <laughs> basically, <laughs> I was like, all right, cool, yeah, we got time. That's basically it. And then like it was. More or less, just supposed to be like backstory for her character in X, but it eventually became like this prequel, and then they pitched it to A twenty four, and they're like, "Oh, actually, let's just do this. Let's just shoot this movie." And I'm that's like, very oh, cool. Right. It's very interesting. I, yeah, totally. The thing is, they wanted to cut it down the cost considerably, so like they basically used the same sets from X, but then they originally wanted to shoot Pearl in black and white, just so they don't have to change like the wallpapers or something from the house in X. Right. But then they're just like, they actually believed in the final product. So they actually just went like, no, shoot this in color, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. money you need. So they threw in more money actually after the initial pitch. And I'm like, thank God, because like Pearl just looks like nothing you've ever seen before in a horror movie. That's really cool. Uh, the idea of that Technicolor look, because that's such yeah. a. I mean, most people will probably associate that with like Wizard of Oz. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's you know, like, there's like that painterly look to it. It's like, the, yeah. um, and that's kind of how it was done, I think. Right. Maybe oh, you might more. For sure. The yeah. Like the thing is, the movie is sort of like its own twisted version of Wizard of Oz. Okay. <laughs> it's like cool. Dorothy didn't go to Kansas and got stuck there. <laughs> that's basically <laughs> it. Yeah. That's like a summary of the story. <laughs> So I do remember Pearl having a, a very good trailer. So if we want to go mm. back to the trailer editing talk, like, yeah. do, you, do you remember the trailer for Pearl or? I do. Um, I remember, I didn't know how to feel about it. Cause it was like, obviously edited for like a, re- a movie from like the golden age of Hollywood. So I was just like, Oh, what? Like, I was just indifferent. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. Mm. Cause it's just like, I've never seen anything like it before. Right. And then, like the trailer didn't really sell me i'm gonna be honest yeah but like i knew it was ty west and i'm a fan of ty west and it was a prequel to x i liked x so i'm like all right i'll give it a shot and then when i saw the movie it was just like wow this is something else (laughs) it's uh interesting how um a movie that's really bold in uh, like a new style or a new way of doing something (laughs) It can be really hard to make a trailer for that because how do you how do you impart that to someone? Like when you're making the, you know, the thirtieth Marvel movie, it's basically just telling people like, hey, here's the reason why you're to come, but you don't have to sell them on the concept of it. Like but if you're doing board. something brand new, then sometimes you have to get very creative with the trailer. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like I have, like just the the editor who did that trailer is just amazing you know just making something that just hasn't really been done before is really interesting to me you know Mm. yeah so um overall impressions of tiff like how was it did how did it feel to be back at the festival in person after after like the covid years wait last year they played teton right i think they did yeah yeah like i I believe that that's the only movie I saw last year because I was still pretty cautious with COVID. So this is the first one where I felt pretty like normal, more or less. And like, it it felt good. 
I I only saw like three movies. The third one was Project Wolf Hunting, but we don't need to get into that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like it just felt like felt like home. I guess it's just it felt it felt good just seeing everyone on the street like two in the morning, three in the morning after Midnight Madness, still busy, and just like that vibe. You know, I, I miss that for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause like 2020, I like that was the year where there was no in-person TIFF and I didn't see any movies that year, like none. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was hard. I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast too, where, you know, it's, I find it hard to watch big quote unquote, like serious movies at home, especially during the pandemic yes. when it was like, uh, let's just escape and watch something light because the world is heavy. And there's that feeling of like, no, this movie deserves to be seen in a theater where I'm going to give it my full attention and not having that. It just, it's tough. No, I agree. Like during the pandemic, like I didn't really watch a lot of these very big dramatic films. Like I just kept it very, very light. Mm -hmm. All things considered. (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 I definitely understand. Yeah. So like I watched a lot of like, it's always sunny. Lots of comedies. I guess it's not Teton, but like that movie just—it's Julie Ducournau's horror movie. That one, Palm Door. So of course I'm gonna watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes horror can be because it's—it's it's almost so over the top, and some some horror is, but yeah. uh, sometimes the lightness can swing the other way, where it's like it goes back to feeling a little bit light if something is oh, so 100%. heightened because you're like, ah, this isn't, this isn't resonating with my overall life. It's not like a drama that's taking oh, a deep emotional place, but yeah, no, I get that totally. So, um, what, uh, like, are there any TIFF movies that you saw that, uh, have not had a wide release that you want to recommend? Um, if people weren't lucky enough to go, like, that they should like keep an eye out for. Year from this year. Or yeah, from year? well, from this year, I guess. If it's from previous <laughs> years, I imagine there. I only saw like three movies this year, so it was Decision to Leave, Pearl, and Project Wolf Hunting. You could definitely skip Project Wolf Hunting. Just be straight up. Um, <laughs> that movie just leads like. Was that another it Midnight was, Madness? It, it sounds like a Midnight Madness. It was Midnight a Midnight Madness movie, and it was fun with an audience. But like, I would not watch that alone. Right. In my own free time, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it was a lot better with an audience. Um, honestly, when Decision to Leave comes out, just stop what you're doing and watch that movie. It's it's the next Parasite. Oh, really? It's, it's, it's that good. Like, it's, it's perfection on film. That's how good it is. I will, and I'll probably be shamed from my co-host <laughs> about this, but my knowledge of... Uh, I hope I get this right. That's a South Korean movie, right? South Korean movie, yes. Yeah. Yes. My knowledge of and my experience with South Korean uh, movies is uh, not great, but I did. I think of um, that director's previous works. I have seen Old Boy, like the original yes, Old Boy. Boy. It's been a yeah. very long time. Um, yeah. But I should I should get into more of those. Um, oh, he's he's one of the best South Korean filmmakers for sure. It's good to hear that he's still operating at like the top of his game. Oh, he's, you know? or oh, maybe he's even like he's not at the top yet. The top is Honestly, still going to be three movies from now. He is at the top of his game for sure. Like he's consistently improved as a filmmaker mm-hmm. after Old Boy, basically. And he's just like, he's, he's just, I don't know. He's just so fucking good, man. I'm just a fanboy. I'm just going to be <laughs> honest, man. 
hey, you know what? I I'm kind of of the opinion that like the the role of like the impartial critic. Yeah. That sort of died with classic media. Like the the idea of like, oh, you there's a there's a time and place for that sort of impartial criticism. And it's when you're writing for like a huge publication and you're going to reach like everyone's Sunday dinner table and you're just trying to tell like Joe Blow whether or not they might like a movie. But like who the fuck cares? We're all movie fans. Like we should just yeah. embrace the things that we love. And if we want if that means that we're gonna be like gushing over something or not. Yeah you know, critical, like who cares? We're here to like, this is a, it's just like layered butter. It's a celebration yeah. of what we love um, about cinema. We don't have to try to like be impartial judges and critics. That's a good way of putting it for sure. Yeah. Like, but like, yeah, speaking on you and like not being too familiar with South Korean films, I'm actually jealous of you because there's so many, <laughs> there's so many you haven't like, holy crap, man. There's so many good movies. Like, have you seen Parasite at least? I have seen Parasite. I saw that okay, was one. Yeah. I think that might have been one of the last, maybe the second last movie I saw in theaters before the pandemic. Oh, yeah, you're right. But I, yeah. I remember seeing that. Uh, yeah. I feel like I really like the way that you phrased that, that like you're excited for my lack of experience. That's a really good, um, like the opposite of gatekeeping. Because you, you're saying that like, wow, you have the whole, like There's you have so, so much many to movies. experience. There's What's so what are the top three that I should, I should I get into? If I'm I got a lot. Okay, <laughs> let's say top five. What are the top five oh, South Korean movies? So you've seen Old Boy and Parasite, so I'm going to skip those. Okay. Um, I Saw the Devil is incredible. And it's okay. another revenge film. They just know how to do revenge films. Koreans are crazy in, in a good way. <laughs> they're, just, they're just so fucked up. You know what I mean? So like I Saw the Devil is one of them. Um, the Handmaiden, number two. That's another from that. What, from, sorry, from what's Park the name Chen- of yeah. Yeah. So the handmaiden's really good. That's um, just from a few years ago, right? Six years ago. It's been a while actually. Two thousand sixteen. Uh, yeah, I guess. Oh so, yeah. It's been, a few yeah, years ago, twenty sixteen. Yeah. We're uh, getting older yeah. older like by the bit. day. Yeah, yeah. Um so the um what did I say first? It was uh, I saw the devil. I saw the devil the handmaiden. handmaiden. Um okay, third. Uh Memories of Murder is it's um Bong Joon Ho's first feature film. Okay, um, I have heard of this one too. Oh, you haven't seen? Oh, that's, I haven't seen that. No, that's a good one. Um, for Burning by Lee Chang Dong, and it stars um Steven Yun in like a Korean speaking role, which is very cool. Um, and the fifth one, I just gotta go with my boy Park Chan Wook again, Lady Vengeance. Lady Vengeance, I love that title. So like. Old Boy is like the second movie in like his trilogy of Vengeance. So Lady Vengeance is the third one in that trilogy. And I always like I always like have like a like a um I guess like a soft soft spot for that one. Hmm. I always like I always want to say it's better than Old Boy, but like Old Boy is just Old Boy. It's just that movie is just incredible. <laughs> well, I love it. Uh, I feel like uh, you know come for the the tiff takes, but stay for yeah. the south korean, south korean like intro course yeah here's <laughs> here's how to get into south korean movies if you're like me and you've seen like maybe two or three yeah maybe ever but uh well awesome uh lester thanks for for sharing these uh sharing your thoughts on tiff um any Thank other like me. final yeah final thoughts you want to you want to share if there's anything else um no i don't 
much to say. It's it's spooky season, so start watching your horror movies. You know, What's your like go to? Like you I gotta go-to. watch it every year. It could be a movie, it could be a TV show. Like I'll share for while you're thinking about it. Last yeah. year was the first year that I watched Over the Garden Wall, um, oh. which I I had I'd heard for many years like oh you got to watch this and I was like oh, I was putting it off, but now that I I saw it like last year it's it's basically like a movie but it's split into um like. 14 or maybe 12 like 10 minute episodes okay. uh, or maybe it's just like 10 10 minute episodes but it's the story of two brothers um it's animated two brothers lost in the woods and it just sort of unravels from there but i i've never seen something that perfectly blends that like a childhood it, there's like an innocence sort of um wonder of like the the spooky halloween feeling with the genuine horror of like oh there's something dark and twisted at like in the soul of humanity and, and uh, it's animated yeah it's animated and it's not it's not like um not for children how should i say that like it's family friendly ish but there's some scary shit in there okay. it stars um elijah wood and elijah uh, wood. there's a yeah there's a kid an actual kid who plays the younger brother uh christopher lloyd's in it um a bunch of other people yeah it's incredible. <laughs> over the over the garden wall i feel like i'm going to be talking about it all um like the is this entire season but i saw it for the first time last year and i'm going to watch it this year because it's a halloween staple what's your what's one of your halloween staples that's a halloween staple for you okay um what is mine mine is there's a uh, there's a lot i'm gonna be honest i'm a huge horror fan so like it's hard for me to pick one but Usually, it's funny because not all horror movies are Halloween movies, but yes, like what what's that perfect you know, is both for you? Mm. It's like it's both, you know. It because you know some horror I feel like are summer movies, some can be winter movies. Like yeah, what's I get a, it. what's a movie that you feel like speaks to like your love of horror and your love of, of the Halloween season? This is a good one because I was going to say the thing, but I always find the thing like something that's perfect for the winter like the, yeah the really really wintry months um so like it was one that that reminds me of halloween and horror i would say trick or treat the one by it's like a it's a halloween anthology by michael dorothy um, oh, okay yeah, this is from x-men 2 i think we did Oh, interesting. This is um, 2007? This is 2007, yeah. So it's been a while. I remember seeing this in high school, and it just has a stat cast, first of all. It has, like, an pack win. Brian Cox is in it. Like, I feel like this is one of those movies that, if I dig into it, I'll find out that I actually saw this in theaters, because it's that perfect time, 2007. Like, I went to the movies, like, three times a month, same. four times a month. And same. there's a lot of movies that I would not remember until I'm actually watching it again, where I realize, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I've seen this before. Yeah. But, but like, yeah, this movie is just five different stories that all occur on Halloween. And then as each story plays out, you just sort of figure, find out how they intertwine with each other. And it's just like, I've never seen that in one of those horror anthologies. Cause it's more or less basically like different stories separately. But here it's actually intertwining with each other. And oh, it's just cool. like, oh, wow, this is 
so it, it opens up another aspect of the story. It's like a it's sort of like it keeps unraveling as it goes on, and you're just like, wow, this is very well made. And like for the longest time, they've been trying to get a sequel off the ground, at least a decade. And I've been like trying to, I've been like following it for years, <laughs> and it's still like they're still working on it. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> then That's I've been so funny. Would you say that because of the timing of Tiff, that like does Tiff put you in that horror Halloween mood, like seeing Midnight Mat, like the Midnight movies, oh, and it, then the festival is done and it's rolling into October, like change oh, of 100%, season, hundred percent, yeah. Because like obviously Midnight Madness, that's my jam. Like I have to at least see one Midnight Madness movie every Tiff, and like that, just the crowd. Like you haven't been, so like it's hard. It's hard to explain. It's just you got to be there. That yeah. thing. You just got to wake up. He got to stay up till midnight and be out until 3 a.m. Basically to, yeah. to get there. But um, just, it's just a bunch of people who love these like very genre slash horror films, basically. And it's just like such a good vibe. It's just, it's just, it's most the most fun you could have a tiff in my opinion. Well, that's, that's a great sell of it. And it's, yeah. I'm putting it on my bucket list to, to check that out. So Lester, that thanks for joining, for sharing your, your tip thoughts. And Thank uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. I am here speaking to Mark DeLottenville. Mark, I want to hear all about your, your tip experience. And uh, you can tell all the masses, tell the people who um, don't get to experience TIFF in person or don't want to experience TIFF in person, don't want to come to Toronto, don't live in Toronto. And, uh, you know, we're going to pull back some of the, the, the covers of the, the TIFF experience. Is it, is it as all of that it's hyped up to be, is it as glamorous as it seems? Mm-hmm. Um, so just to start things off, what's your, well, actually to rewind a little bit, who are you and why am I speaking to you? What's your involvement with layered butter? <laughs> I just some guy that you found like walking home and then you're like, hey, do you want to be on a podcast? And I was like, sure. Yeah, that's fine. I have no idea what this is, but yeah, it sounds cool to me. That but, is how we source most of our guests. But I think yeah. in this case, you are one of the key members of the Layered Butter <laughs> magazine and website and uh, brand. Correct. I, I yeah. I guess I, I I feel like we have so many hats. Of everyone does that, like and everyone who is involved with Layer Butter. But I guess I would be one of the founding members, and then I also a content manage. I guess you would say, like I talk to a lot of the artists. I talk to a lot of the people that we're going to interview, and kind of get all the content organized for each of the different uh, uh, different issues that we've done so far. So it depends on uh, depends on what it is, and then and then literally every other job that we need to get done. So. And I believe the last podcast episode you were on was when you were talking about your short film from last year, Cruise, correct? Mm-hmm. It was, and yeah. And what episode was that? I could tell you. It was episode, season two, episode 14, Eyes on the Prize. There you we go. to you about what a Cruise. title. Mm-hmm. Did you come up with that title, Jordan, or was that I like did a not. rat? <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes it's a group. Sometimes we all toss names out there, uh, okay. but I... I couldn't tell you who I'd have to dig through the archives of our group WhatsApp chat to tell you that one. But anyway, what's, what's TIFF mean to you? Four simple letters, the Toronto international film festival. Um, What's your, what's, what comes to mind when you think of TIFF? Well, I think uh, the one thing about me is that I'm, on top of layered butter, I'm also like I own a production company and we do a lot of commercial content. And then I also do narrative content. So I come from a side of both the filmmaker and the one consuming 
the festival. So I have, you know, with me, um, our short that we did last year has actually played at a lot of the same festivals that would be on par or near TIFF. So we've gone to like a Fantastic Fest or Seattle or Fantasia or any of these places. So it's really interesting to see festivals from a different perspective of a filmmaker and then also seeing it like going to other festivals around the world versus going to something like TIFF. So each of them have their own I guess you'd say secret sauce kind of thing, their own thing that they do. So that's really interesting to see. Is this TIFF? So I, I imagine you have um, a bit of a history with TIFF, right? Is it, would you say it's like the festival that you've seen the most movies at been like a, um, not necessarily on the participation side of things, but just as a, you know, a viewer in the seats going to different movies. Is it fair to say it's the one that you've have the most experience with? I would say so. Yeah, it would probably be. I mean, I've lived in Toronto for the past 10 years. So actually more than that, uh, probably like close to 12 now. So I've been to a lot of the festivals over the year, just, you know, by, you know, the fact that I live downtown Toronto. So it's really Mm -hmm. easy. And we're really lucky that, you know, I'm able to go to such like a world class festival in that particular area. So it's um, but yeah, I would say TIFF is like probably like my most um, experienced festival in terms of that. So far, so so far, so far. So I I am interested to hear, though, if you could maybe and I don't want to get too much into this, but like briefly in terms of the behind the scenes, how does TIFF compare to some of the other uh, festivals that you've uh, directly interfaced with, either with your production company or your short film or any of your work? I think TIFF is uh, a kind of a mixture of um I don't want to say upstairs, downstairs, because it's a little bit like that. It has a little bit of a, you know, especially with the talent, you know, it's a little bit of a separation between like, it's almost like a church and state, right? It's like the cha- the the talent and everyone involved in the festival are kind of like, you know, a little bit kept about, you know, away. They're close to the, like, they're close to the fans, but they're not quite, you know, everything's just a little bit withheld. So like, that for example, like if you go and they bring in the cast, then they kind of bring them out and they've got the cars waiting and they go behind the building, they let them in through the back or they, they go through if, if there's barriers set up so that they can still go and sign everything. And they have like an, you know, an interaction with the fan base, but it's also very controlled. So everything is kind of like, this is the talent. This is you're here to see, you know, like we've closed down the streets. You can't go up to them. You can't do anything like that. So it it feels a little bit like that uh, in terms of that. And that's just, a, a, I don't know, I think it's probably, to be honest, just due to the size of the festival and whatever it is. It's probably a little very similar to something like a Venice or a Cannes. Um, whereas like some festivals are a bit smaller. You know, uh, we just got back from a fantastic fest, which is in Austin, Texas, which at the Alamo Draft House, And we were there for about, I don't know, five or six days at the festival. And a festival like that is more comparable to something like a Sundance, where everyone just feels kind of part of it. No matter who you are, doesn't matter if you're talent, doesn't matter if you're a, you know, a viewer, you're going to the festival, your press, like everyone's kind of like in this small little bubble. So whenever you see people, regardless of who it is, you don't feel like, you know, that's them and this is us. Like it's, it's kind of just like, yeah, everyone's here. There's no red carpet. There's no certain things of that. It's just everyone's involved. 
and it depends on the festival and um you know some of them are you know tiff is one of those ones and just in terms of layout is also really nice the fact that it's it's contained but still feels big you know you've got mm-hmm. a lot of theaters but it it is contained like on a kind of like a single street essentially since set especially excuse me since they built the tiff bell Lightbox. um whereas like other festivals we went to one in finland at, and the tampera film festival which is about an hour and a half north of helsinki and it's a huge short film festival massive but they are they are spread out throughout the entire city so there's right. theaters all over so it's not just something where you're like okay we'll go to this theater and we'll see everyone it's like nope we're going to go to this theater we'll go to our screening here but then our next screening is over in this next building you know, another 10 minute walk away. It's not far, but it's still like, it doesn't feel like, okay, we're right in the middle of the thick of it. Whereas like yeah. kind of if is like, okay, it's Royal Alexandra, you know, princess of Wales. And then the Tiff bell light box were basically the three this year and everything was there, you know, and, and Scotiabank, sorry. So they have like not fall, but it's still like not that far. Right. So, so this is a, might sound like a weird question, but I, I have a fairly limited experience with Tiff. I've been to, probably under 10 movies total. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of years ago was my first TIFF living in Toronto. And sorry, it was probably more like four or five years ago now. And uh, so I saw five random movies. I bought one of those passes. Um, it was a really great experience overall, but it was very strange for me in that uh, there were certain movies that I saw that they were in old movie theaters that, I personally had never really seen movies in before. The Mm -hmm. seats were not very comfortable. The seats weren't great in some of these old theaters. The viewing angles were awful. And I remember one experience where I had a very (laughs) tall guy in front of me who was playing with his hair the entire time, like kind of like (laughs) raking his his hand through his hair and like letting his long, <laughs> long hair like string out in front of. And mm-hmm. I watched like 85% of this movie through this man's hair. And that's a weird experience. And like, is that true of all festivals that just sometimes they're just in like these, like, you know, very beautiful rustic old movie theaters that they're just made at a different time when seats were smaller, less comfortable. And I don't know, sometimes the viewing experience itself is just, not what we are used to at like the big chains these days. No, it absolutely is like that. Depending on like, you know, TIFF itself this year had a mixture of like, you know, theaters built for movies. So like Scotiabank and the Bell Lightbox, which is Lightbox is a beautiful theater. That's like, if that's like the best movie theater I've ever sat in basically. It's and it's like designed for that. Right. mm -hmm. So something of that is like, okay, yeah, we're designing this. Whereas something like, you know, the princes of Wales or um, I'd say like Royal Alexandra, not that they're bad. They're just, they're designed for theater, right? Yeah. So the theater, the sight lines are still really good because everyone has to see it just like a theater experience. But in terms mm. of the seats, they're all kind of like that old theater seat. I guess I don't know how right. to describe it. It's like, you know, covered in velour or whatever. I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's like covered. It's, it's that type of thing. Right. So I guess not all this get... to say, like if any of the guests feel like they're missing out or they're left out of this tough experience, it's not all amazing experiences. There's, um, there's some of the drag of like, Oh, this movie, this random movie I saw is actually a letdown. This movie's kind of boring. There's a reason why you've never heard of this movie after the festival, like, mm-hmm. or just the experience itself is weird. Um, but the other thing you get a lot with festivals is that you kind of get the festival bubble. So a lot mm. of films that you might go into it and you might be like, wow, this like everyone's talking about this film, like this and this and this and it's great and great, great. And then it gets released and 
no one gives a shit you know like it's just kind yeah. of like they're like like they're they're they have no idea what this is it doesn't appeal to the general public no one's seen it you know it became this like massive hit at this festival and then no one watches it ever you <laughs> the know 20 and minute standing ovation doesn't actually translate to box office or doesn't like, translate to anything success or like in the streaming says or whatever like no one mm-hmm. like you know they'll you know you have these like you know stories of people just are like yeah they're like you know I'm trying to get into this theater and it was so crazy and this this but yeah a lot of times you know that happens as like and I, you've talked to any press member they're all the same like they all say the same thing it's like that is very common for like to have you know the kind of festival bubble of something and then and sometimes it's the exact opposite where it is like a festival bubble and it is a great movie so it really Mm -hmm. translates and it has a lot of it has legs as you would say and it you know a lot of people see it and they love it and for a good reason you know it's like um i'm trying to think of one like apparently this i haven't seen it yet but i want to see it apparently this film called the menu which is uh played at tip this year people love it and it's one of those things where i can see it being a very kind of a cult hit and do really well because it's you know not only is it kind of like a comedy you know dark comedy but it also can play really well in terms of that so so um yeah i think listeners have heard me talk about uh my favorite movie podcast film junk um, probably too up too much, but they uh they have a, a term that they've used throughout the years called the festival bump which is basically just that you come out of a movie from TIFF and seeing it with the crowd, seeing it with that, like the, you know, the crowd who's there for it and excited for it and everyone wants mm-hmm. to see it. They've paid more for these tickets. They're there to experience it. They're going to maybe see the stars of the movie. They're going to talk, like be able to see the director talk about it afterwards. And it's not, it, it's, it's hard for that not to make you feel like the impact of the movie more. It's basically mm-hmm. like if, if the worst experience of a movie is watching it, like on your phone with like one earbud, then <laughs> the, the TIFF experience no is like, you know, no rolling no out the intended. red carpet of like, yeah, you're, you're increasing the experience versus if you had just seen it at a normal theater, if you had just seen it at home, maybe it was a three and a half store on a star on letterbox, but you get the, the festival bump. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think uh, one of the movies that you saw at TIFF this year was, um, uh, well, actually, sorry, let me let me go take that back. What was uh, one of the more impactful movies that you saw this year? And My favorite movie that I saw that was by far, and I still think it will do great, is uh, the sequel to Knives Out, which was uh, Glass Onion. It was by far my favorite film at the festival it was so much fun it's such a great film and it was the one i was the most worried about which is really interesting because i love the first one the first knives out i've watched probably i don't know 10 15 times like i love that film it's so well done it's Mm -hmm. so well acted and it's just like a fun film and like i quote that donut inside the donut hole like all the time <laughs> and i me and my, i say to my wife like old times like oh we gotta find that and we, i've gotta find the donut the a smaller donut inside the donut hole and then uh it's just um it was one of those films i was really really worried about being not being as good as the original and i can confidently say it lived up to the original and was just a fantastic film all around that's awesome so uh, I mean, I guess it would make sense to be fearful of a movie like that because it was such a uh, all the all the components working at such a high level, and then things 
but that same movie could have had like great performances and then it just, mm-hmm. you know, it's parts of it just couldn't, maybe wouldn't have landed. Right. Um, I will and, say this about it. The yeah. One thing about the new one is that the first 15 minutes of it, about 15, 20 minutes, I didn't love. And I was really worried after the first 15, 20 minutes. I remember watching, usually it's the first 15 minutes. You're kind of like, okay, wow, here we go. And then it kind of tapers off because I can't keep the momentum of the like opening. Mm. Whereas this was the exact opposite. It like kind of, and I don't think I'm ruining anything, but they, it takes place on an Island. And that's like the, that's in the trailer of that. They go to this Island essentially for, and it's like this weekend away. And, um, once they get to the island, which is about the first 15 minutes, it just takes off and is fantastic. After that, like I was really worried up until the first part because I thought it was like, this is not, I don't know where this is going. And I'm not quite sure if this is going to hit the mark of what it was doing. And it was I was really, really worried after that. But then as soon as I got to the island, I was just like, yep, OK, this is no, this is great. They they, <laughs> they nailed it and it gets better and better as it goes on. And you're just like, wow, they really nailed it. Like and. I think it's one of those things where everything in a script where you, you know, you intentionally introduce things and do they pay off and everything just pays off completely, which is great. So that's good to hear. That comes out. uh, That's this fall, right? I should should look up some of these. I think it comes out uh, at Christmas. Uh, It comes out a bit before to a few select theaters because it's a Netflix exclusive, right? So they're um, they're they're releasing it in a couple theaters and then it. and then it plays at, uh, I think it's December 23rd or something that it releases just before Christmas. So having seen this sequel, um, do you welcome uh, like a never ending series of movies of Daniel Craig playing this same detective character and uh, cracking different cases? Absolutely. I, I think it would be, um, I, I could watch, if they're all as good as these two, I could watch like 50 of these. They'd be like right. the next Bond series. Like they would just be like, they're they're just so much it's just so much fun and the i will say the one thing is that like it's not the same type it's not a rehash which i really loved it's not something where it's like okay this is basically the first one again it's not it's something completely different and because of that it's just um yeah it's just great great i guess the big question would be if it could survive moving to a different director and writer from ryan johnson Hope it doesn't. It seems like he's enjoying making these. So uh, I, if this one does well, I mean, uh, how Hollywood works, it's he'll get the green light to make more. I could see him at least doing one more. He said I, uh, when we were there, I saw the screening that was not the opening night, but it was the next morning. Um, and I was actually surprised that the whole cast and Ryan Johnson were there the next morning for the um, screening as well, too. And they all came out after the film. Um, and, uh, that he was just, you know, saying that he would do more as long as it does well, he would do as many as he could. So, um, I could see him at least probably doing one more, you know, do like a trilogy of the three of them. Um, but yeah, I would just, uh, it's a, it's a fantastic film. Were there any notable breakouts, uh, breakout stars from the cast? Um, Janelle Monet was great uh she was probably the best in like the whole thing i mean daniel craig is daniel craig he's like kind of like the same kind of character so like and Mm -hmm. he's also like he's just fantastic anyways but his um i mean it's not like you it's kind of like just being like he's just normally good i don't know how to say it you know like it's just like no he's just like 
it's like, you know, some like star player. They're like, oh, yeah, they're just, you know, they're so good that you just expect them to be good, you know, and then they are, uh, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whereas like, you know, um, I'd say like Janelle Monet was fantastic. She was really great. Uh, Kate Hudson was surprisingly um, really great as well, too. I loved her in it. Um, you know, it's like she plays this great character, kind of like a little bit of a ditz of that, but she plays it so well. And there's just some great lines. And and um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Like, Edward Norton was good. Kind of like very, I don't know how to say it, a very Edward Norton. Like, he was <laughs> good, but just always kind of like, he's kind of always the same character, I would find, if that. But he was, um, um, but he was good. You know, he was good. In, uh, but yeah, Janelle Monet and probably Kate Hudson were the two. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but like a couple of them were like in the cast. They don't get as much screen time. So they were good but they just didn't have enough as other characters so that's why like they stood out more gotcha i won't uh, i won't ask more because it's not a movie to spoil um so uh, overall thoughts on the festival uh was it good to be back in person at tiff do you do you feel like the the festival has um survived the the years of it not being what it once was um the covid years or what do you think yeah, I think so. I think like, to be honest, I think it actually not only survived, but it was thriving. Like it was, it felt, it felt fan, like great to be there. It was such high energy, especially the first opening weekend with like the festival street and like King street being closed down. And for people who don't know who aren't from Toronto, like King street is where the tiff ball light box is located on. It's one of the kind of like main streets, downtown Toronto. So they close off a section of it, right? During yeah. The you're, uh, you're bound to see a lot or hear a lot of, uh, pissed off opinions of uh, Torontonians who don't give a shit about movies and aren't yep. excited about TIFF. And for them, yeah. that time of the year is just like about two weeks of um, Hell. a lot of inconvenience, a lot of yeah. uh, uh, key streetcars and whatnot being rerouted. So, <laughs> well, the first, the first fault is the fact that Toronto has still stuck with streetcars and it's like 2022. <laughs> so that's, it's, if they want to blame anyone, they should blame the city. It shouldn't be us, but uh, the, it's, uh, but yeah, I would say like the festival itself, uh, the one thing about this year where I was really happy about um, is that a lot of times, you know, when you're watching a festival, um, you know, festival films, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier with the festival bump, like certain films they get in and they're like, oh, wow, I'd love to see this. It sounds great. And then you kind of watch it and you're like, that got in like really you know like mm. that like that was that was a really bad movie you know of that and and you're not quite sure why you know certain things get in i mean you're kind of like maybe sometimes you're pretty sure it's just like they want to have the cast there and they want to have like you know i don't know just someone like you know taking photos in front of all the like screaming people of tiff right so that they can show it for promos of that kind of thing but yeah the film itself that they're you know representing or showing is you know wasn't that good um but this year, um, actually, they had a lot of really great films. And even if they weren't like like there were like a lot, I was I would even say that people would watch, you know, now and watch in a few years and still say like they are great films like Triangle of Sadness was fantastic. Banshees of Isherin was fantastic. The Fablemans was really great. Glass Onion was fantastic. So they had like a lot of huge hits the menu, apparently fantastic. Uh you know, so they had, you know, a lot of really and even then, like the films that were, I'd say, like not even, you know, they weren't just like, eh, they're OK. Like the I, like the Woman King, really good film, right? Good film, 
really, really interesting. I wouldn't say it was a great film, but it was a really good, it was enjoyable watching experience, right? And like, could see, I, I'm really happy that it did well in box office, and I'm not surprised because it's like something that is really, you know, easy to, um, I guess, as like a film that's really easy to take in, essentially, yeah, right, of that. So, um, and there's a lot of those films that kind of happened throughout the festival. They were like, you know, maybe like a three and a half of that, but like it kind of builds as this like, you see it and you're like, great that's you know that was good that was good like we did all our reviews for their butter and i was actually shocked at the amount of you know three four and five stars that and this is not just from one person too it was from you know seven members of the team that were going to see movies and there was consistent with like very high scores of that which shows that the quality of the films of the festival this year was really high which in years past sometimes has not been as good you know and that's not tiff's fault it's just you know what was made at particular year but this year was strong and it felt good it felt like a really good festival it's definitely heartening in a time when you know we're feeling more and more uncertain about the movie going experience the streaming model uh, is it imploding in on itself is the funding there like to have um a festival uh, to have a tiff festival where i guess that's like saying atm machine to have a tiff where the you know um it's a great mix of art house of big movies i mean you know we have a spielberg movie that's about Mm -hmm. making movies we've got like Mm -hmm. uh we have sequels we have uh, kind of across the board and everyone's just really excited and everything is being well received um seems like movies aren't dead which is i don't know it's a it's a good uh feel good story about the fact that our beloved hobby and for some of us are um you know, the, the dreams of what we want to do are um, still alive and well as an art form. I always find it really interesting when people always say like movies are dead or movies are dying. It's like an art experience of that. And yet, like the things that like people talk about the most throughout the year tend to always go back to like content and like movies of that kind of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, you know, what was the most talked about thing of like in entertainment this year? It was Top Gun Maverick, you know, like it was a movie you know of that like what you know when avatar 2 comes out what are people going to be talking about they're going to be going to this like movie and they're going to be like i keep saying this that people are just like avatar 2 is not going to make any money i'm like don't you realize that james cameron has a deal with the devil and he is going to be like <laughs> every movie he comes out with is going to be like three billion dollars and then it's just gonna yeah it's just gonna everyone's gonna go see it and then be like oh my god 3d what is this again and then they're just like make a trillion dollars at the box office and then so yeah. it's like, I can get on so my uh, James Cameron high horse about how yeah. like I think there was, and I'll just say this about Avatar. I think that first movie, uh, like it obviously had an amazing, uh, amazing special effects. And it feels like the narrative that happened after the fact was all film nerds just got this line in their head about how it's just Fern Gully. It's just uh, Pocahontas. It's just, it's, it's this retelling. It's a very cliched story. And it is, it's not, a reinvention of the the wheel it's not like it's not entirely new but it's a fun movie it's a fun movie mm-hmm. people enjoyed it it goes by at a good pace it has really good visuals it has like i don't know it it kind of checks all the boxes of mm-hmm. a blockbuster and i have full faith that uh cameron's going to deliver for avatar 2 and I think people are going to go out and see it and people are excited to have a big movie to see like that. So uh, especially on the holidays, I, right? Yeah. Like holidays is always. And this is like the first year I kept saying this to people. No one believed me, but I was just like, don't you realize like COVID's going to be over 
And then everyone's going to want to go back to the theater. And the one movie that they're going to go back to over the holidays is Avatar 2. Like, yeah. 100%. That's going to be the movie that everyone goes to because they're going to be like, I want to see this. Like, it's like with Top Gun. You know, Top Gun had, you know, so many people go to it because it was a theatrical experience and it needed to be seen in a theater. And Avatar 2 is exactly the same way it'll make, you know, I, I still think it'll make at least at least two billion at the box office and probably more, you know, of that, like most likely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just people will uh, watch it and then they'll just be blown away by the visuals, you know, of that. I do. I got to love that we're ending um, your TIFF segment by talking about Avatar 2 and Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> but like it is important to remember that sometimes uh, movie nerds can get in our own heads about like such and such isn't respected or nobody liked this movie because we see our Twitter feeds and we see our Letterboxd accounts and we mm-hmm. we think that our little bubble of like cinephiles actually makes up the wider conversation about movies and mm-hmm. it doesn't. We're no, like, it doesn't we're just at nerds. All. We're nerds who yeah. are like, we see way more movies than other people do. Like, uh, I think the average person probably sees what, like one, one and a half movies in theaters a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. And maybe, yeah. But, um, in any case, any, any final thoughts about TIFF this year? I I just I had a I had a great time. I think it was, you know, it was a really good festival this year. I think everyone was, you know, really into it. It seemed like the the films were I mean, what it comes down to to me is, you know, are the films good? Like I don't really care about like celebrities or parties or anything like that. Like I've been in the industry for over a decade. I've met a lot of celebrities. I've worked with a lot of celebrities and I just don't care about mm-hmm. that. Just like they're like whatever. Like it's just a person. You know, they're just working on a job. Like if you ever work on a film set and then you're like there at like four o'clock in the morning getting like a you know like gummies from a craft table or or like a, <laughs> like trying to get like a banana and then you have like the person like standing there you like you lose all sense of wonder of like anything of that. Like it just goes away immediately. Uh, and it, with this it's you know for me so for me it's just like are the you know the discussions really good like are those types of things really like really offering something that's specific to filmmakers is that really something that's different that you wouldn't be able to see anywhere else or is the films themselves are they entertaining or are they just kind of like we have this person here we hi- we bought this person here because we wanted you know i'll say like someone like george clooney I have no idea. Like George Clooney wasn't there at the festival, but it's just like George Clooney's film will bring him here because we want George Clooney at the festival. Whereas the film is not that good, you know, of that kind of thing. And it could be any celebrity of that, but it's just like with that particular thing, you don't like, for me, it's like, if you know, and they did that this year really well is that the planners of the, the programmers at the festival really picked films that were really good, not because, you know, someone was in it, but because the film itself was actually a really interesting film. And, uh, you know, one of those things with, you know, with any type of festival, like that's what I'm looking for, because that's what I'm going to remember. Like, you know, just be like, oh, that one time I walked down the street and saw the rock, you know, you'd be like, who cares? You know, <laughs> like, it's like, won't matter mm-hmm. like of that. But the, if I mean, like, oh, I saw the Fablemans and that one best picture, right. Of that kind of thing. And like, we were there when it premiered and I saw it there first and it was a great film and I was able to do that. Or that's the type of thing I feel like the programmers got really right this year and they did a really good job with all the films that you know they've seen and and uh yeah it was just uh it was a good festival Mm -hmm. well mark i appreciate you sharing your thoughts and uh thanks for coming on to talk about tiff hopefully we'll find another reason to have you on to the layered butter podcast for season three 
um, at some point. Uh, there's a lot of great movies out there and a lot coming down the pipe. And uh, if you're doing yeah. an Avatar episode, then I'll be on that episode. I'll, All right. I'll put your Rod name down. Hates, is it Rod who hates Avatar? I think it's Rod who hates Avatar. I think right? Rod hates it and Raf is. I don't know. I've, I, I'll let him speak for himself on that. But I, I yeah. think that between the two of them, I know that I'm usually the, the Avatar apologist. So the Avatar apologist, if, uh, yeah. if I'm looking for other people to actually talk to me or, or maybe to even balance out the, the hate <laughs> in uh, in that eventual episode, I'll uh, we'll we'll give you a, a shout. But I would yeah, like to thanks. do a, a live reading with like Avatar 2 just to see what they would say, like in theater, like as they're just like, what would Rod say? Would he like get out of it and be like, uh, that's actually better than everything over were all the ones you know like is he gonna say that or is he gonna say like is he just not gonna like not gonna like it at all so i'm really i'm really curious i'm really curious how they like they like it at the end of the year i guarantee raffle like it i i would put money on it that like he will come out of him and be like bro like great film best what a what a great film you know i like don't want to accuse raff of anything but i do think he is sometimes um the most susceptible to <laughs> the critical wave or just being in yeah. and we all are to agree you know i'm not going to say yeah. i'm immune to it but like that influence of like oh if you hear the take enough times of like is it actually good so yeah. uh anyway love you raf uh sorry if you're listening to this but maybe he won't listen to it so maybe anyway. he won't listen to it <laughs> thanks mark thanks for joining uh, always great to talk to you and thanks for uh sharing your opinions on tiff 2022 no problem happy to be here all right Hey, Rod and Jordan, this is Andrew Fry, uh, your neighborhood cinema fan and dramatist here. Um, thank you so much for having me on the pod today. And the first thing I really want to say about this year's TIFF was just how nice it was to see the festival back to the way it was to a certain degree um, back you know, in the pre-pandemic uh, days. You know, it was nice to see King Street all dressed up as Festival Street. Um, and people networking and doing all the things that make TIFF so exciting in Toronto um, uh, for those, uh, you know, two weeks or so when the festival's in town. Um, so it was nice to see that. Um, I will say, too, that I wish uh, that they hadn't have gotten rid of the orange volunteer shirts. Um, as a former volunteer himself, I loved those orange shirts because they were just so garish and um, bright and you sort of knew exactly uh, what was go- uh, where you were. Um, and so, you know, making them blue, not a fan at all. But, you know, there's always hope that next year the orange will come back. Uh, bring the orange back. There was a part of me that did wish that 95% of films, if not all, had also been uh, available online or to stream digitally as they were in the past two years. And I know that that was born out of necessity because we were all at home. Um, But there is an accessibility inherent to that that I think was lacking this year by only offering certain titles. And I know that it's sort of wrapped up in distribution and whether the filmmakers want their film to be available um, on, on the online platform. But I just think you know, we've learned so much in the past two years and it would have been nice uh, for that option to still be here for people who wanted to see sort of some of the bigger films, um, but, you know, can't leave their house or don't want to leave their house because they still have, you know, a wide variety of different factors that are keeping them home uh, during this still sort of scary time that we live in. Um, So, you know, 
there were some pros and cons, um, but you know, overall, I think it was a great festival, and I'm happy to have uh, gone to it, and it feels like a privilege to um, have seen the movies that I did see this year. I saw eight films over the course of the festival, and I think all of them uh, made an impression on me in some way, shape, or form, but I think the one that really stuck out with me was Sarah Polly's Women Talking. And I had heard, you know, through the grapevine and through things I'd seen online or Twitter, sort of the early reactions when it was at Telluride, and um, I was sort of unsure as to what it would be like. Um, I'd had my own sort of perceptions and my own preconceived notions from reading up on the book. And, you know, I'm obsessed with Sarah Pauly. I love her first two uh, films, especially Take This Wall. So I knew that it was going to be cinema, um, but I just didn't know um, what to expect fully. Um, And I think while watching it, I was so struck by, A, its look, and everybody's talking about its look. Um, It's very brutalist and bleak and you know Sarah and her cinematographer were inspired by a Canadian photographer named Larry Towell and his work um and he shoots mostly in all in black and white and you know they strip away the color uh in this environment and really all that we're sort of left with is the um, the raw emotion um in the film and so you know then you're struck by the performances and the stories and listening to you know these women talk um about a very horrifying and harrowing um experience that they've all shared um and i think there's not one actor who's not at the top of their game in the movie um but i will say it was just so beautiful and lovely to see canadian icon queen sheila mccarthy sort of get her big moment in such a grand film that's going to be seen by so many different people you know on the in a worldwide platform um so that was really nice and you know she breaks your heart in so many different ways um and then you know claire foy jesse buckley rooney mara all just really you know given master classes uh, across the board and also distinct um and, you know, then Ben Wishaw, the, the man of, of the group, is um, literally, quite literally sits his ass down and listens um, and also breaks your heart um, in a different way. Um, so it's it's just a really powerful, impactful film. You know, there's so many different adjectives you can throw its way, um, but they're all they're all real and true. And I stand by them and I'm I'm excited and nervous for it to drop for the whole world to see because, uh, you know, the reactions have already been so polarizing. Um, but I definitely think Sarah has a chance to win the best uh, adapted screenplay and she'll definitely hopefully be nominated for best uh, director and hopefully the movie gets best picture and you know I'm interested to see what happens in the acting categories because that is such a tough uh, tough thing to sort of pick the one best out of that group so I'm really excited about that I will say that the most fun I had uh, watching a movie this year was definitely Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion a Knives Out mystery um, I had loved Knives Out when I saw it at TIFF in 2019 and on subsequent Wii watches. Um, but I didn't know whether this one was going to have the same feel, same vibe, and they would kept saying, you know, it's going to be very tonally different than Knives Out. But so I went in with open eyes um, and open hearts. 
um, excited to see what was on screen um, and was open to sort of a new interpretation of the murder mystery. And it did not disappoint. It's, it is completely different than Knives Out, but in a really exciting and complex way. Um, I think this is Ryan Johnson's last of Sheila. If Knives Out was his clue, this is definitely the homage to uh, Sondheim and Anthony Perkins' uh, fabulous screenplay for she Last of Sheila. Um, and shout out to Kate Hudson for being a literal movie star um, with a capital M and a capital S. Uh, she lights up the screen. Uh, same goes for Janelle Monet, who is incredible in it. And Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc is a, a national hero. Um, I'm very excited for people to see it when it drops, uh, I think a couple of days before Christmas on Netflix. I think it, there will be certain moments that will light the Twitter sphere and internet sphere on fire. Um, and it'll be a great movie to sort of watch around uh, on your couch and uh, have some fun uh, figuring out all of its mysteries. Well, that was it for uh, my TIFF this year. And uh, thank you again for having me on the pod. And uh, until TIFF 2023. We are back. So, gentlemen, you didn't actually just listen to them. So you can't know if your predictions are right. So we can't talk about those interviews anymore. And we have to move on. Let's talk about TIFF, you guys. Your TIFF experience. You got to go TIFF. to TIFF. I got to live vicariously through your Instagram stories. It was great. But like before we get into this year's TIFF, let's even open it up even further. What is TIFF? What does TIFF mean to you? Rod, tell me what's your what comes to mind when you think of TIFF and what's your your history and your experience with the festival? Right. So it's funny because it's like I when I don't view myself as part of kind of the cinephile community. And I think that was very quickly reminded to me by myself when I was like getting ready for TIFF and all of a sudden this list of movies shows up and you need to figure out what you're going to watch. And I'm like, I don't know any of these movies. Like I have no frame of reference of like what I should watch from this list. But what it does remind me, TIFF in general, is that I have very good friends that love movies and specifically Raph. And like, <laughs> you know, my, my, my first interaction with TIFF was this man, you know, buying me a ticket for something that I wanted to see or inviting me. Like every movie that I seen before this year, was with him and so this year again i relied on him and i'm like hey rap give me like a primer of like what i should see what i shouldn't see like what's out there so i have like very warm memories towards the festival it's in our local city kind of you know like we're not specifically in toronto but we're toronto adjacent and you know you get to go over you get to watch some great movies it, it's it's all amazing i will say that last year um it was kind of the covid version of tiff mm -hmm. it was the first year that layer butter was accredited for press this year we mm -hmm. applied again and we were accredited again but this was this year was like our first year covering like an in-person kind of film festival and it was incredibly exciting i mean it, it was not the only thing that we did this summer like layered butter but it was one of the the kind of the key milestones that we did that kind of felt like, you know, we're becoming a lot more serious as a publication. And so, yeah, that, that was really exciting. Um, I, I don't know, Ralph, what about you? Yeah, man. I mean, this was our second year credited and it felt completely different from the first year because we had Dune. I think that was the only one or two films that we've seen in, in person. Mm -hmm. The rest was all online. Um, and this was, this really felt like the TIFF experience. You know, we had the, the franticness of buying tickets, the insanity of, um, uh, you know, being 
downtown trying to schedule your day, making sure you get to eat, making sure you get to park, making sure you get to breathe between films. I don't know. This was this was reminiscent of old time um, TIFF TIFF days prior to the pandemic, but even more so because, you know, we've got a job to do. Right. We've got to deliver the goods. It felt like a lot. I think like I was overly ambitious with what I thought I could do at the beginning and then kind of had to course correct in the middle of the festival. Um, I think, but it was a great experience, I think, to be able to, for next year to know like what the reality of things are. I think we should, you know, specify to the audience because surely some of our audience aren't (laughs) Toronto TIFF people who, you know, see tons of movies there every year. Because it might sound silly to talk about the exhaustingness of like seeing a bunch of movies in a day. But seeing like three movies in a day at TIFF is not the equivalent of watching three movies in your pajamas at home. Mm -hmm. Each of those movies is entirely different, like arrangement that you have to go to. It's an event. They have Mm -hmm. like celebrities there. They're at different locations. I mean, it's all very pretty close together in Toronto. But um, But you're trying to grab food in between it. Like there's just so much happening all around you Mm -hmm. and you're being ushered from place to place in groups. And it's an exhausting experience. Yeah, I would definitely say that, um, like, uh, those are points that I would give to TIFF, that they managed to put everything together. Like, that's, Mm. it's incredible how close all the screens are, but it is very, very exhausting. And it's not just even, like, the watching of it, like, the, the, it's, like, for us, covering in it, you know, like, there's a review that has to be done, you need to upload that to the CMS, you need to create, like, image assets for each one of these movies, you need to take a look at the embargo date to make sure that you're not going to publish your review ahead of Mm. time, like, you know, personally, I was managing the, the team, the entire team that was covering it. And so I had to coordinate to make sure that all the mm-hmm. reviews, that at least somebody was going to go watch all the movies. So it was a lot. It was like right off the heels of Fan Expo that we did too. And so we didn't have enough time, I think, to prepare in the middle. So it just, it was incredibly exhausting. Like it, it was so much more exhausting than I think it would have been had I only gone there and watched movies. It was worth it though. Oh, 100%. I mean, and I think like next year, there's things that we can do differently that will, will make it less exhausting and better. Sure. But yeah, it, it was definitely something. So, I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but like having, you know, maybe this is the biggest, highest profile thing um, that you guys have done so far with Laird Butter. Did you find it changing your moment to moment experience of the movies, having that idea in your head that you are like, you have a deadline after seeing it that you are going to be putting your thoughts about it on paper to put out there for the world and you're doing it as one of the first, uh, one of the first, you know, takes that's going out there. It's not like you're just, putting words on a movie that everyone's already seen or that there's like the takeout there, like you're part of that first risk, yeah. um, wave of critical response. Did you feel the weight of that responsibility? Did it change your viewing experiences? Uh, yeah. So not, not to me. I don't know how you felt, Raph. Like I felt free, <laughs> free of the burden, you know, like not knowing like what I hate going into a movie and being like, yeah, everybody hated this because then all of a sudden, if you like it, you're a contrarian. And if you don't like it, you're a sheep, you know, like there's right. no, there's no way around it. I would much rather put my opinion out there first and then have everybody else be like, no, you're wrong. Because then at least I know that what I said is truly what I felt and it wasn't influenced by hmm. anybody else. That's I mean, a, I took I, it a different I way. I, I, I took it in the sense that I felt the weight of, getting out of the menu at 11 p.m. at night, driving back home, and then (laughs) drafting up a review before midnight, right? Um, But outside of that and actual, you know, our jobs and what we were supposed to do, um, yeah, I I, I think in my head I was like, oh, will these movies live up to the hype? Because I felt some sort of responsibility in terms of letting Rod, letting, you know, some of our friends know that, hey, 
these are some big ones to look out for, right? And I wanted to make sure at least, right, that it would be worth it. But if, if they weren't, then that's already news to the world. Do you know what I mean? The fact mm-hmm. that some of these films, they flopped, then we could tell the world and be like, hey, guys, there isn't any hype behind this. You know what I mean? So um, yeah. there was a little bit of responsibility, or at least for me, I felt that way. But we're reporting well, let's, this. Let's we're- just go right into some of those uh, some of those films. I think, um, uh, remind me, one of you said you were going to kick it off with, uh, was it The Whale? Um, that Or is that the second one that one of you was going to speak about? Uh, well, The Whale, I mean, I think a movie starring Brandon Fraser, you can guess which one of us is probably going to be talking about that one. We had a perfect order, though, earlier. It was something, was something, the menu, and then Fableman. The Menu, yes. Yeah. Rod, kick us off. Tell us all about The Menu. For sure. I saw a variety of films at TIFF that, that I enjoyed. I thought The Wonder, which is like a follow-up to A Fantastic Woman by the Chilean a director whose name is escaping me right now, was great. Uh, Decision to Leave was amazing. I really enjoyed yes. The Swimmers. Um, Holy Spider was fun in its own way. Bros had its big debut at TIFF, and even though it bombed this weekend over the, the, Not this. at the box office, I would still say it's definitely worth checking out. But I will say that the one movie that really stuck with me was a movie that I had no expectations whatsoever mm-hmm. for. It was kind of Something that I think I grabbed just because it fit my schedule. Uh, the Menu is a black comedy horror by a director named Mark Milode. If you, you're not too familiar with him, that's kind of okay because I don't think many people are. The other Succession. movie that, that I would say it's like a big kind of, um, I guess the two movies that maybe you may know him from is one is a romantic comedy starring Chris Evans called What's Your uh, What's Your Number, also starring Anna Ferris, And then the other one is Ali G in the house. He drew, these are some of the, two of the four movies, uh, two of the three movies they directed before The Menu. The Menu is a script by, um, I believe their names are Seth Rice and Will Tracy. It is a script that's been on that infamous or famous blacklist, blacklist. Uh, for, for a long time. And it was originally attached to, uh, with Emma Stone and director Alexander Payne, who's a little bit more famous, I would say. And you may know him from Sideways, The Descendants, Nebraska, Downsizing, etc. But, um, you know, schedule shift. This movie wasn't able to get produced or, or produced in time. And so both Payne and Stone ended up leaving. Um, it stars Anya Taylor-Joy. It also stars Ray Fiennes. It has Nicholas Holt. It has like a wonderful um, supporting, supporting cast. I think to me, in the supporting cast, the big standout was Hong Chow. Um, the 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 premise of it, per Wikipedia, is just a young couple, Margot and Tyler, travel to a remote island to eat at Hawthorne, an exclusive restaurant run by celebrity chef Slowick, who has prepared a lavish molecular gastronomy menu where food is treated as conceptual art, but his approach to cuisine has some shocking surprises for the wealthy guests. I don't want to spoil the surprise. I think if you watch the trailer, you think it's like, oh, I figured this movie out. I will say that what you think happens is very evident in the movie from the beginning. So that's not like the the main uh, thrust that is pushing the movie forward. Um, it's incredibly decadent. Like the, the shot are so carefully selected. It is the equivalent of molecular gastronomy in cinematography. I think mm-hmm. it is um, incredibly exciting. Like Anya Taylor-Joy is cementing herself as like not a fluke. She is a solid, solid, solid actor. I think she's going to be around for a long, long time. You know, Ray Fiennes again, obviously leading Amazing. the potential. Incre- it's, it's very weird that he doesn't not have an oscar i think is that correct or very weird up? yeah like i think he, he so definitely strange. i hope he gets nominated for this i don't know like where things are falling these days i can't maybe he won't win i think this year but just like overall a stellar cast including like john leguizamo um also the like reed bernie from uh mass. Rap's favorite movie last <laughs> year uh mass um just just truly truly incredible judith light is in this movie it's it's 
I think like the best thing to do would be to watch this movie with no expectations. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch the trailer again, I think you're going to go in thinking it's like, oh, I figured this movie out. Like I don't think yeah. that you quite have or rather that I think the part that you figured out is not as like surprising or, or yes, you know, momentous as you think it may be because it does kind of look like it, it's obvious in the trailer and it becomes obvious in the movie quite quickly. It's structured around several course meals and each one of the courses is just like a small vignette that is so, so fun and enjoyable Amazing. to watch. Yep. So this Rob, director this too, right? Do you have anything? Did I miss anything here? No, I mean I, I was chiming along there because uh, this was an amazing surprise at TIFF. I remember thinking in my head, I'm like, ah, ah I think this might flop, um, but it, it didn't, and it was. Mm-hmm. I think it scored higher in my expect uh, scored higher in my list because of the fact that it was such a wonderful surprise. So yeah. I don't want to say anything more. Rod said and it perfectly. It had it's 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 its premiere at TIFF, which is always world fun premiere, yeah. world premiere at TIFF, and it 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 then was at Fantastic Fest, which is it's like another uh, for its US premiere. So, yeah, so I think it's opening in theaters November eighteenth. Uh, like I would say, if you uh, enjoy quirky fun really dynamic movies like this is not one that feels like it's dragging along in any mm-hmm. way so if you just want to take a gamble on it i would definitely recommend it if you want to check out the trailer i would say also go ahead like you know the the, the part that you think is, is going to be the twist not so much of a twist as you may think you know it's interesting this director who i am not familiar with is his name mark uh, my lord Mylod? 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 I'm not sure. Yeah. Mylod? I don't know. Mylod. It's Game of Thrones and success. You maybe just got to say it like the way from. when they say Malord and they, you know, they make it yeah. like am apostrophe Lord, but Mark Malord. His, his um, TV work, I think, is a little bit more uh, of uh, more famous, I guess, in this film. That's what I was going right? to say. He's quite the prolific TV director, and it's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, I mean, I hope he keeps doing like doing TV and movies. Uh, most recently, he's directed 13 episodes of Succession. He's the uh, which uh, means he's director directed, on the show. Yeah, he's the main like the. He's the a main director of the show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he also did uh, 12 episodes of Shameless, which I know is big for a lot of people. Uh, a whole bunch of Entourage, six episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, six hours of Game of Thrones ain't nothing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Mark for the Malloyd. succession director, stay for Hong Chao saying tortillas. Yo, seriously. <laughs> and you know what? I, I'm just going to I'm gonna jump in here because uh, Hong Chao had the weekend at TIFF. I mean... Stellar. I'm, stellar. Stellar. Tiff. Like, uh, she wasn't the main character in any of the films, and she... I'm going to talk about her in, in The Whale. Um, but she was really the standout cast mm-hmm. um uh ensemble piece in a lot of the films we saw and you know i hope she gets recognized Sag Awards, she was in on. multiple movies at tiff what movies was yeah she? he was a supporting the... actor in the menu and she was a supporting actor in the whale oh well speaking Which, of the whale raf exactly. tell me all about the whale give me the spotlight right now anyway um the whale is darren aronofsky's newest film which is adapted from his um uh, uh, off off Broadway stage play by Samuel Hunter called The Whale, uh, which is starring Brendan Fraser. It's about a 600 pound recluse English teacher who is attempting to reconnect with her with his daughter. Um, and his story is, uh, you know, it's super challenging. It's um, extremely sad. There are some really funny moments, but a lot of it is it weighs on Brendan Fraser's literally his um his performance because having uh, a man um with that sort of challenge and also you know 
empathy in his eyes. It, it was just a tremendous, tremendous performance. Uh, I will be extremely surprised if he doesn't even get a nomination, but I think he's on course to possibly be the front runner, um, aside from us, Austin Butler and Elvis. But anyway, uh, The Whale is um, it is a hard watch, like Aronofsky's films, but something like this is it's a play, so there's only four characters. It's him, Hong Chow, um, Ty Simpkins, and um, Sadie Sink. And a very short scene by Samantha Morton. Um, and it's just recollects this man's attempts to reconnect with his daughter. And it's very, very powerful. I mean, it's You, a you mentioned the, movie. the lead of this movie. What was it? Brendan? Brendan Fraser. Where Brendan do I know that Fraser. name from? Who is this? Who is this? The Please mummy. tell the audience. Who? Come on. Okay. From the, like the Tom Cruise Brendan mummy? The, Not this. I am, who is I this am actor? Pretend like right you're talking... Oh, Brendan so, Fraser. Yeah, he was huge, right? What happened to him? What's he been in? What's he I been mean, doing? So let me just say this. Uh, you know, there's a, there was a, <laughs> a Variety article or a GQ article that came out a couple years ago that detailed Brendan Fraser's disappearance from the studio system. Apparently, he was um, uh, sexually harassed or sexually assaulted by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association's president at the time, and he was blacklisted out of Hollywood. Paired with that with a really, really tough divorce and back injuries, he has had a tough um, last end of his career. Um, and I feel like knowing all that, this performance in this film is nothing short of, you know, a calling. And it's almost magical in his um, in the way he brings out the empathy, sympathy, and also all these honest monologues in the film you could tell he's pouring his art out here so don't diss my man george of the jungle okay but after everything <laughs> the audience been- realizes i was being a little uh you know <laughs> i can't no, i'm never gonna say the word facetious facetious uh, not this facetious facetious i was goofing around and uh but yeah if you did feel that way, you should also feel shame in not knowing about Brendan Fraser's struggles and his triumphant return. Uh, I'm interested in seeing this, obviously. It looks like standing ovation, so much at heart and soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I will say it is a challenging watch. And my I mean, that's Aronofsky, this... right? The man doesn't, uh, he doesn't make feel good, easygoing so He challenges it is you. Like his easiest film to watch in terms of a filmmaking perspective it is not crazy like requiem or anything like that um it might be you don't want to be like tearing your skin like tearing your hair out with anxiety like in uh mother no i just think i mean this is like it's it's a very tough film in terms of the content and um uh, subject matter and i i'm worried about some of the discourse that will come out when this film comes out um, fat shaming is a big one and uh, not even fat shaming. I, I think fat phobia. A lot of people may not want to see this film because it portrays um, uh, people uh, with large sizes in a negative light. And, you know, I, I get it, but I feel like this is an important film to watch. I feel like do you, you know, there are Do you stories. feel like Aronofsky was doing that? Like, do you feel like? No, it wasn't is it, is it portraying? Like, is he, is he portraying fat phobia or is the movie... Like, I do think you feel like the filmmaker has a fat phobic? No, no, no. I just feel like audiences. What's the difference between those two things? I mean, you can have a movie about like the Holocaust and Nazism, and that's awful. And if that's triggering, that's awful. And maybe it's like you could talk about their views, but it's a movie can be anti it, right? Like, you could show 
you could show homophobia. This is what it is from uh, right. like, so I, I think though the the art the the argument online though is is I mean whether it's intentional or from the director or whatever. Not that it's like portraying fat phobia, but rather that it's fat phobic, right? Because of its um, well, I know a bit like did Brendan Fraser. Wear, I think the uh, gist of that argument, and I don't know if this is true or not, is rather that like uh, the, the qualities that the character that is fat have are. Basically, like, you know, like he's described multiple times as like, or I, in reviews, not in, in the movie. But, you know, like it, it it's hard to, to explain without going into the spoilers of the movie. Yeah. But essentially, mm-hmm. there's a lot of negative qualities that are ascribed to a character that is fat. And whether that is intentional or coincidental, I think the, the, the argument is that the movie itself um, kind of feeds into the stereotypes that we have towards fat people and whether they are lazy or they are dirty or like that kind of thing. Mm. Right. And it, yeah, it maybe I, it doesn't do enough to like not play into that. Uh, that point of view. Or I, well, I feel think like... it's also based on a play that that's the material, right? Like unless that, the right. director was exactly. going to like change no. it. I, I mean, but I think the I mean, play, like the original script is I think perhaps the original sin. Yeah. And I, I was going to say too, like, it's adapted by the original playwright, right? So a lot of the content here is from the source material. I just feel like a lot of people may not want to see it because of what it displays or what it um, offers. And I think that's I, I think that's hard, right? Because the performance and the story here is very, very emotional and is very powerful. So I don't know. I, I, I invite everyone to watch it. I think it's Brendan Fraser's best performance obviously because i don't um and i feel like later on in the oscars we should see him make a run for it right so that's my take the whale the biggest well thank you raf that sounds like a very challenging watch i don't know if i'll actually end up seeing it because that's that's aronofsky right he's a hard he's a hard director sometimes to to crack and get into but you know who's not a hard director to crack and who who doesn't make um strange movies that only appeal to certain people my man, Steven Spielberg, and I believe the two of you, or one Steven of you, S. saw Steven S. We can call him Stevie, Stevie S. Stevie uh, S. One of you watched The Fablemans, and I know we all yes. have opinions and thoughts. So, what Fablemans? That that it, Fablemans was sort of the talk of uh, probably the biggest movie yeah. and the biggest um, tiff event, right? As per Cameron Bailey, this was the biggest one because this is Steven Spielberg's very first festival he's ever done. He's never been to Toronto. I mean, I'm sure he's visited, but he's never actually premiered a film in Toronto. After how many films he's had, this is his first festival thing. And I think it makes sense because of the content of the film. For those who don't know, it is kind of a autobiographical, bio- biographical autobiographical film about um, uh, Sammy Fableman, a young uh, Jewish kid in California. Uh, oh, sorry, Phoenix, Arizona. And then he grows up uh, going through his life as he discovers a love for movies, right? Uh, his parents, um, um, and it centers on his parents' relationship with their uncle Benny, which is Seth Rogen, Paul Dano, and Michelle Williams, respectively. This is a great film. It has some of Steven's most amazing sequences there's like there's a sequence where it will just pull in your heartstrings and it will make you open the floodgates with your tears in your eyes i mean i i just thought it was phenomenal it does go on a little bit too long um but that's steven spielberg but no i think this is a crowd pleaser it's an easy shoe in for the oscars for best picture it did win people's choice awards and tiff 
surprise itself with um, guessing the next big Best Picture winner. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I loved it. Four out of five for me. It was four and a half out of five. It was fantastic. Thoughts, I am vibes? excited for this one, and I feel like it's one of those. It's one of those weird excitements where I'm not really even scared. Like it's, you know, like I was excited for Dune, but I was also like, oh, Dune is so hard. Like, is he going to fuck it up? But like, is is Steven Spielberg going to fuck up a mostly autobiographical story of his life and making movies? Like, no, it's probably going to be like, it's it's just going to be like, is it going to be a four and a half or is it going to be a five? Like, am I going to really like it or am I going to love it? Uh, Rod, how do you feel about Fableman's? So I, I gave my ticket. Uh, I generalistically to a colleague that that couldn't because uh, I could not make it. Uh, I had a, a bit of a situation, but my my bigger thing, I guess, with this movie is not so much whether or not Steven Spielberg can produce uh, or direct a good movie. I, it definitely, I think, without without argument, he's proven he has a track record that says that he can. But my 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 issue with this is how many times are the the awards going to. Uh, reward uh uh like the, the the same kind of magic of movie making um mm-hmm. right like so i guess that was like my only apprehension towards it but other than that i think i mean I th- you know go I, I was just gonna say sorry go i interrupted you go go talk no i was just it. gonna say like other than that i think like other very few things to fault with this you know it, it, it's steven spielberg making a good movie not a huge surprise Mm-hmm. Yeah. If um, so, Rod, if I had to sum up your opinion, you're basically of the idea that, like, yeah, of course it's great, but it's not going to be great in a new way. It's probably going to be great in the same way that ET is great. That, like, uh, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is great. That, like, in all the Jurassic Park, all the classic Spielbergs that have taught, like, tugged on your heartstring and affected you. So you personally aren't. You, you don't have an excitement for it. Your excitement lies with, uh, dare I say it, like young um, novel, exciting, never seen anything like this movies. Like Exactly. It's, uh, it's the everything everywhere all at once versus Fableman's argument for the Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a fair space to, to you know, to be within. Uh, some cinephiles are going to say, yeah, of course it's great, but like they've been there, done that. And I, I mean, I hope it, there's something to be said about being a consistent been there, done that person. Um, that's not even an easy thing to do. A lot of directors for the, for as many decades of your life to still be uh, doing that sort of filmmaking at the top of your game and making those um, effective, heart tugging, emotive, you know, you could recommend it to literally anyone sort of movies that Spielberg excels in. So there's something to be said. And to, uh, I guess, um, I, you don't have to. You don't have to be excited about the future because the future isn't Spielberg. The man is. Um, how old is he? Is he almost eighty? He's got to be in his upper uh, mid seventies at nine, least, right? 90. He's an old man, and he will, <laughs> no doubt, pass away in our lifetimes. And Not this. Oh my God. that'll be sad. But uh, there's a lot 75. of exciting future things that are coming up in cinema that we can be excited about. I guess. But for um, for myself, I know. I'm going to get a ticket to go see the Fablemans with a big Good. old thing of popcorn and uh, see that in theaters. Does it come out this holiday season? It's got to be a holiday movie, right? For sure. I think it's Christmas time. It has to be. Um, I also wanted to bring up, uh, you know, how Rod brought up uh, this power of movies. Sam Mendes also premiered a film at TIFF called Empire of Light, which is about the power of movies. The Fablemans is the better movie. So 
that's my oh. that's my small take. And Michelle Williams or whoever's doing the um, Oscar, I think Amblin is doing the Oscar uh, press for the Fablemans. They're pushing Michelle Williams as a lead when she is clearly the supporting, and I think she just like she lost an easy Oscar win. Her if she was. Uh, promoted and supporting, she's 100% winning that Oscar. Now she's being pushed as the lead. I don't know about that. But anyway, I digress. Um, go watch the classic Oscars, uh, politicking, bamboozle. Uh, well, I guess that's uh, basically sums up TIFF. Do you guys have any final thoughts about the festival? Are you excited about the future of TIFF? Of, you Check know, out where... our reviews. I mean, um, we have a lot of films that we all reviewed the entire team and i think it gives you a, a great glimpse of the oscar race coming up so check it out um and give us your thoughts chime in when it when some of these movies comes out i think the um what's it called uh some of the films are actually already out now the woman king came out um and i think pearls bros bros yeah. yeah so yeah man happy awesome. tiff happy tiff happy tiff everyone and I guess the end of the tiff chat brings us into the final segment of the show, which is uh, we're talking hot takes. Um, I have no hot takes. hot takes, aren't we? Or was our tiff? Did we, did, Rod, did you have I think a we had specific said that hot the take? The hot take was the Fablemans, whether or not it should like be the front runner. I think, but we kind of talked about the Fablemans. Yeah, you're right. We did talk about that. So you know what? I think that was an excellent. Um, well, I don't know. I just pause to give Rod time to edit all this out and we will say uh, i'll just say goodbye <clears throat> well guys thanks for sharing your thoughts on tiff i think uh, that's a great place to close this uh opening for season three of the podcast i'm glad to be back i'm glad to see your smiling faces on my screen and i'm sure Same. our listeners are glad to hear all of our voices uh right in their ear holes uh listeners oh. i'm glad to be inside your head um mm. and you should know that I can hear your thoughts and you have been part of this conversation. So that's how podcasts work. When Jordan is hosting, he, he reaches another level, guys. <laughs> yeah. But I'll take it. It's anyway. you're putting on the ring. Oh, God. Don't get me started. You guys are going to have to give me a spinoff show where I just talk about Lord it's of the just Rings. Jordan. So that there's let's, just the like. Let's schedule a, a, a Tolkien verse episode. Yes, Tolkien verse episode. Let's do it. That's in your future. And, okay. uh, I will moderate it. I will moderate that because I have no. I, I don't. Know I, you need on. to have full. What do you mean you've seen the Peter Jackson me? movies? Have yeah, you I not? have. But I mean, can okay. I, but you guys are more nerdier than I am. I mean, that makes you the perfect moderator because you could be like, oh, "All right, damn. shut up, shut up, shut up." So you're talking too long about these elves for fuck's sake, oh, man. <laughs> All right, well, guys, it's been great talking to you and Same. listeners. It's been great yeah. talking to you. So keep stay tuned. Uh, put this to the top of your subscription list on your podcast app uh most my podcast app has a feature where you can like automatically download an episode of something i do that for all my favorite shows if you listen to us go do that on your podcast app automatically we are always us, put it going to, the to top. be like your favorite show we are always going to be your favorite show and we can hear that your sounds thoughts like a threat <laughs> no it's not a threat it's a statement they will definitely have us as their favorite show but what i can do is start our exit music okay we can talk over it and we can Bye. say, have a great night. See everyone. Bye. Later, Gator. Have we achieved Nirvana? <laughs>